Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. When the guys get together to answer your questions in a crew episode, a lot of shit gets pondered. Tex spends most of the podcast trying to convince John and Luke that he is not a robot and that he is in fact a human man with human emotions. Luke wrestles with his own experience of mortality when a public restroom automatic sink fails to sense his presence, which makes him feel like he is temporarily dead. And finally, John tries to legitimize the premiere podcast in Strength and Condition by actually answering your inquiries, S&C stuff. Imagine that. Here it is, episode 325. Power Athlete Nation, what's happening? It's that time again for another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Ing. Ing. Now, John, I have to ask... You look fabulous today. Oh, thank you. What is it that... Who are you wearing today? Uh, I'm wearing a Kelly Green shirt hmm. by... Um, it's a tri-blend. Hmm. And it is emblazed with this new design that we have for the Wade's Army shirt. Wade's Army people? I for those of you watching on YouTube, you see the trio here basically pulling off the... Wade's Army look for 2019. <laughs> uh, this was kind of a big deal, man. We were uh, went back and forth on the designs and the colors and, um, mm. you know, just giving it like a, a St. Patrick's Day theme. But I really, um, you know, Harry, a.k.a. the Premier Penguin in... <laughs> Is it him? No, but That's I like theory. to... That's a theory. But I, I do like to refer to him as the, uh, the Premier uh, Graphic Designer in Strength and Conditioning mm-hmm. thing. And uh, Harry came up and started using the screen on the website, and um, I think it looks great. And so we were going to go with a darker, uh, you know, print on the Wade's Army, but I I had a couple green T-shirts, and, man, I really just dig the white. I think it's really just... Mm -hmm. I uh, do got to tell you, it looks a lot better in person than it did on the screen. uh, You know what? When I looked at it in the mocks, it kind of looked a little busy, but um, seeing it printed, man, I'm really pretty excited about how it turned out. That green's become really uh, like a good hallmark color for, for us, so I'm excited about it. and uh who did your bottoms who did my bottoms yeah your wades did your top what do you got what do you got going on below the, t- the table here big guy you wearing anything uh shorts plaid mm. plaid shorts there's nothing down there people he is butt naked <laughs> <laughs> i'm wearing my jorts i made last week which john oh, god they're, they're way too short <laughs> Well, I I told Luke, you know, for for you years, can always cut them shorter. Yeah, I so it up. So for years, uh, I would buy pants and then I would wash them, and then the pants would shrink, and so they would just become shorts. And I figured out that like you got to cut them real long and then just wear them around and kind of like roll them up to find mm-hmm. the exact length. Yeah, yeah, because I blew up the fly in my other jorts, which were jants, because they weren't really. Well, the you know, would be, and I can't really see us paying a hundred plus dollars that, for man. the uh, uh, what's uh, one of those CrossFit brands is selling yeah. actual workout jorts. But I think like one hundred and thirty bucks, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to spend that on jorts. Here's a macrame your own. <laughs> you know, Ashley bought me this pair of real, real tight skinny jeans and never wore. But she spent fucking, I'm sure, seventy dollars on their Volcom or Ruka or something like that, and they're just sitting in my fucking closet. And I'm like, you know, what? fuck it, like. I'm like, I'm never, I am never going to wear those pants ever again in my life. 
I'm making shorts. Why? Uh, why were they so tight? They're just so tight. Like my calves have gotten really big. I'm not sure if you know this, McQuilkin. <laughs> you know, I haven't seen yeah, you. Yeah, I haven't daily. seen you in the gym in a long time. I don't know that. What the fuck is that supposed to mean, and man? The podcast. You haven't been on a podcast in a month. I know. I'm worried that I'm, you know, going to get a little rusty here. I won't well, be able to you should. Uh, I just think that. But too skinny you know, in the calves. You know, like around the ankle. You've gotten away from training, and uh, you know, actually, Percy said it today. He's like, Luke will never train hard ever again. You think so? That's what Percy thinks. You guys don't even know. You don't even know. The no. system's in full knows. effect. I think John knows. Yeah. The system is full in full effect. John it's, didn't go in with the system. He basically admitted it that last episode. What was that episode uh, I was on? <laughs> it's um, yeah, Ryan. Meckler. It's pretty much going to be like a two or three year hiatus. And all of a sudden, two or three years are going to pass. And you're going to be like, I haven't really trained hard in a couple of years. What fucking happened? And you were just in survival mode. It's totally happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's uh, called fluid periodization text. Mm-hmm. I'm taking my Omega oh, wave Chris reading Morris. every morning. Are you? <laughs> well, um, it's like kind of my assumed, what is it? Uh, is, perceived, uh, perceived Omega wave reading. Did you, <laughs> did you borrow uh, Texas uh, mood ring, uh, toe ring? Yes. Mood toe ring? Yes, I'm yeah. wearing it right now. Is pinky it? ring or pinky toe because I'm not it's a pinky. slut. <laughs> Wait, so I don't know what that means. Why, uh, is there a, a specific? Yeah, if you uh, put it on oh, any of the middle toe toes. means something different. You don't yeah. know this? I'm a pinky I, toe. Dude, I don't know. I've never met a dude that wears a toe ring, so you're really the first one I've ever met. <laughs> Uh-huh. And, and what's weird first too? First first, yeah, well, the fact that you guys are are sharing it's even weirder. I know. I get it during the week. He gets it during the weekends because he goes out, you know, and trying to pick up chicks. You got to have a cool toe ring. Yeah, we're just the ring is in complete sleep deprivation. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm going out on weekends. So Luke's just staying at home. And like, I, so he wears it on his big toe, and it, his big toe is the size of my pinky toe. Well, is that why you wear the boat shoes? So it that, seems like that, that you don't really have to slip them off when you want to show off the pinky toe or a ring. You just kind of basically like, hey, look down and you can see your toes in those shoes. Mm-hmm. I wore them out. I can't. You know, they're they're done. I fucking rocked them despite all of this <laughs> negative energy that I get from the team and fucking worked out into them and sprinted in them until they are no longer, you know, you it's know, a good I- van. It lasted, I don't know, six months of just cruel jokes, mm-hmm. heavy lifts, and sprints. You know what, John? You know what this sounds like to me? <laughs> Classic robot Spr- talk. <laughs> Sprint, sprinting and heavy lifts are, are uh, kind of relative in that way. So, Of course it is. Oh, I didn't say they were fast. <laughs> well, I think the irony of this and why I'm going to call bullshit on this is you show up every day and you basically rock, come in barefoot. And I have to watch your little Lego feet prints all over the mat. So I, I don't the getaway know, sticks. I don't know when you were wearing these boating shoes to lift heavy weights in. Well, I haven't <laughs> broken in the new pair. Classic I, I, robot avoiding, style. <laughs> no, I'm avoiding that that few weeks where you break in. But I do wear them. If this then pickleball. that. Mm-hmm. If this then that. He's on the like the binary code. He's like oh. zero one one zero zero. But John, aren't we I don't even all know what binary? It, I don't <laughs> even know. know what that Electrons, means. Electrons, protons, photons. Back to our shirts. Yeah. Slight Seriously. Sidebar. Yes. Tis the season, McQuilkin. Enlighten us. We are in the thick of our Wade's Army campaign. So September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. You're going to see this all over Major League Baseball. They're one of our, our biggest supporters in the, the fight for pediatric cancer. And we are right in the, I guess, our big rush this month and focus on the pediatric cancer of neuroblastoma. And this is our eighth year, if you believe it or not, and our goal is to pass the $1 million fundraise mark through Wade's Army. 
So that is our goal, and we have four initiatives that we're pushing people towards. You select where your donation goes towards. In exchange, you get this badass green shirt or sweet tank top or little kid's tee that we got going on. So four initiatives. We're continuing our neuroblastoma research initiative. So this is a global initiative, and we're paired up with many different uh, pediatric cancer advocates to push and fund international research study. Then we have our family support fund, as always, individuals through our community. So all of you, if you ever hear someone's in need that is battling neuroblastoma, reach out directly to John or I, and then we'll be able to support that family. So every family we've ever helped has been because of one of you, a friend, connection. Then what I'm excited about is we're going all in with our kitchen at Cincinnati Children's, what initially last year started as simply a a more nutritional opportunity, a smoothie bar more or less, has now evolved into a full-blown kitchen at the the new ward at Cincinnati Children's. So our big goal is to put a stamp of Wade, Mm -hmm. Wade DeBruin, on that hospital. So we're doing our damnedest to fund as much of that project as we can so we can give it to him. And then finally, Wade's Army Operations. we got to buy the shirts. we got to ship them out. And that's we aim to be as cost-effective with your dollar as possible so we can send it towards the big three. And um, I guess now is good a time as ever. Based off our Rick Smith podcast last year, you're announcing you're announcing it. It will be announced already on social, but now when this podcast drops, it'll be real. And Harry's got the the graphics, and he showed it to me. Yeah, it's, but all of your robot followers shut the aren't fuck gonna up. fucking. Whoa. Well, I'll shut if I'll, this is the true test because I'm not a robot because I'll get electrocuted. It'll I'll shut down if I was. But are, I'm not. are you really yelling and trying to convince us that you're not a robot? Classic. That's only what a robot would really you know, do. You learned this at Cal. Robot rhetoric. Yeah. yeah. Robot rhetoric. The first thing that a robot does is try to convince you it's not a robot, mm-hmm. which is just standard robot tactic. All right. What I it. am not a so, robot. Yeah. Rick Smith, <laughs> the CEO of Axon, and we're, we're linking Founder of the Taser. Founder, yeah. not the uh, founder of Taser International. Right. That's company. Correct. That's the most accurate, right? Yeah. Lining up. And if I cross the $20,000 fundraising mark, I will line up to get tased. Who's going to pull that trigger? Nobody knows. Ooh, I have an idea. Of the person's opportunity, like if you want the opportunity to taste Tex, oh no, yeah, <laughs> Is I mean, going to be an auction <laughs> item. It has to be an auction item at the fucking oh, symposium. Shit. Oh, no, oh, shit, no, I, 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 I think no. I get to hand pick. No, 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 no. Yeah. no. I think that's our big donor. It's like, hey, you can. <gasps> What's no, in John's no, no. pocket? A taser. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So, no, no. Uh, yes, 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 person yes. that wins, what's in my pocket gets to taste tax. Yes, what's in John's pocket, and you have a taser, a taser in your pocket the whole fucking weekend. Uh yes. Do we have any things that's like off limits? Like, is it more? Is it like tw- if we get to twenty five, can we like taste tax in the balls? No, oh, I see. So no. we plus up. So you hit like a thirty thousand dollar threshold. Well, no, it, that taste him in the it. face. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. None of this is true. $20,000. Just to right get taste. The fucking eye. Uh, at, at the TSAC conference, people have already heard that yeah. and a lot of LEO guys, so they were coming up and telling me, I guess, what to expect mm-hmm. and then how to approach it so I make it as not painful as possible. I think you got to go in full bladder. <laughs> I no. think, oh, I think yes. he also got to go in really hungover, so you really yes, died. Hungover, no problem full there. bladder, right? Hungover, full bladder, and like, uh, you know, probably like a big thing of Topo Chico and Pop Rocks. In my hands? No, in like just eat. In it. my mouth? And then we fucking hit you and you barf and piss everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
Yeah, it's like a newborn. That was happening all night last uh. night. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's pretty amazing about the newborn is their, is their ability to actually projectile out of both ends. Oh, it was Where you're like, <laughs> insane. Yeah. Wow. I got, I've never puked and thrown up. At the I got got last shipments. night. Yeah. I got got last night. Yeah, there's uh, But back to Tay's text. This is like, fucking, this is initiative I can get behind. Uh, yeah. I think you're going to hit $20,000 by the time, like in two weeks. Oh, I'm already at 2K. Mm-hmm. And Dusty, Dusty shot a couple, a uh, couple hundo over. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so weird. Dave, David MCK just fucking uh, mortgaged his gym to get that 20 grand. And <laughs> no, MCK, hang on. Do not put all, if you're going to mortgage your gym and your house and maybe whatever you got to do, you have to save money for the fucking silent auction so you can actually tase text too. Uh, I think it's, I, you know what it is? It's a win-win. Mm-hmm. It is. This is a true win-win scenario. Uh, uh, yeah. Nobody the, loses. The waxing last year was a lose-lose for, it was awful. Well, mm-hmm. well, we didn't get a full waxing. Shut the fuck up. That's I mean, <laughs> he's got post-traumatic wax syndrome. Here's, here's how I'm not a robot. That was the most painful. Well, the fact that experience. you're fucking still tearing yeah, up right now. Post-traumatic was... wax syndrome, man. Uh, that's, Dude, I'm not a robot because that was realize, so fucking bad. Do you realize that the taser thing is going to be worse? No, it isn't. No, it isn't. There's no way. Taser's five seconds. Waxing was 20 minutes. Just fucking. Wait a minute. I think we plus up with multiple tasings. Yeah. No. Yeah. If you hit $40,000. No. Okay. It's a two right. tase tasing. So what we do is we get Rick Smith to come with, his, with his drone. Yeah. And, and, what, and when what happens is his text runs around in a circle <laughs> and the drone follows him and just tases him. Surviving the game. Why we cheer. <laughs> like everybody's around drinking and Tate's, uh, Tex is running around in circles and then the fucking drone gets or like any that's what i'm training the, for now yeah anytime let's go anytime Rick, during the technology weekend. i'll take killing is a technology problem you're not going to catch me anytime during the weekend john like a siren can start to go off or like a you know like the fucking drones are coming out and Tex has to go run <laughs> oh this could be so good if only uh, all in the name dude of uh, neuroblastoma mm-hmm. and childhood cancer awareness uh, Month. right so two things number one people before we get uh, on no I, I, I was just gonna say so uh, one of kate's friends um heather uh who's the mother of wade de bruin who you know we started this in in memory of so heather and uh kate uh, my wife grew up together and then another one of their friends uh she uh it's got a pretty good sense of humor and it's pretty funny. So she actually got a chicken costume and she goes around and dances as a chicken for people that'll donate to Wade's army. Oh, no kidding. Oh, it's, it's hilarious. And she posts these videos on it and she, I think is actually already raised like a, a 1500. A, yeah. And so it's pretty funny. Cause she was like trying to like convince Kate, like you need to get a chicken costume. And like, Kate's like, I'm, there's no way. Oh, I, getting, like I could, yeah. yeah like, <laughs> it's a chicken costume. <laughs> but she's like, this is incredible. And so it's it's pretty funny, man. Like um, what's amazing is that uh, Wade's Army and what we're doing here for neuroblastoma has far exceeded this group, you know, and kind of what we're doing here at Power Athlete and, you know, going out to other people. So it's pretty cool to see uh, all the effects of it. And I'm, I'm stoked that we could be the catalyst for it. And, um, you know, our goal of basically just kicking pediatric cancer square in the junk, uh, you know, hopefully is... Closer than not. So here's the calls to action. Number one, first off, thank you to those who have participated in this initiative in the past, because I know people have been on it since day one, right? There are people that we see every year. So our challenge to those folks, and I guess any new folks, is this thing grows exponentially when you take on a fundraising role. Yeah. 
right? So if you have any questions on how you can just take a step above don being a donor, which we greatly appreciate, but actually tapping into your local network, your family and your friends for a, a cause that is, is meaningful and uh, organic and has legs and you can see exactly where your dollars are going. Contact us to get the toolkit to be a fundraiser, right? People are doing all sorts of cool stuff to fundraise, you know, just simple emails to their friends. Gym owners are holding gym events. Yep. Uh, people are going into their corporate offices and they just talk to their coworkers. But all of this stuff, if we can start to expand that reach is super meaningful, right? Number two, call to action. If you're not ready for that, kick in a few bucks. Head to one of our pages or one of your friends' pages or whatever and uh, and throw in whatever you can uh, can contribute. The donation amount for a shirt this year is? 35. 35 bucks. But if you can only throw in $5, that's great. If you want to throw in $5 a month and do a recurring thing, that'd be fucking epic too. Uh, and then finally, number three, if you're just not in a position to, to throw cash at it, help us spread the word. Yeah. Right? And you could still fundraise or just share our social stuff and just get the word out. Right? And that... We appreciate all your guys' effort um, and even the new folks who are coming on. If you have any questions, you want to learn more, wadesarmy.org. But anything else on that text? Yeah, at Wade's Army. Mm -hmm. And if you want to go directly to the shirt donation, give.classy.org slash Wade. Wade, duh, which is not spelled phonetically. W-A-D-E. Yeah. Now, listeners, thank you again for uh hearing out about wade's army today on the show you have your co-hosts luke and tex human tex mm, pretty dense i got dense bones on it you knuckle. sure it's not like steel beams in there uh we have luke and tex feature guest founder ceo of power athlete john friend, Wolf, friend of the podcast no e on the end friend of the podcast <laughs> who also has started a don't you have a fitness Group fitness class out in Florida or something? Is that John Well Borne? That was yeah, Washington State. Oh, that was O R N E. No, yeah, there's no U in that guy. Oh, fuck that guy. Well, yeah, John Wellborn's all over the world, man. <laughs> you know, I always wonder if the other John Wellborns are like, God, fuck this guy. A hundred percent. They're like, I just trying to start first off, what was that guy thinking starting a business name? John, John Wellborn Fitness. In fitness. It's all gonna go to fucking like talk to me, Johnny, and mom and raw milk, and we're gonna hear about the interns, uh crazy mom. <sighs> Yeah. Jamming you up on raw milk. Yeah. But we have an episode today, just the crew. We threw out a yep. shout out on social media. We said, hey, you got questions. We have answers. I guess it's a form of like, ask me anything. But really, we're just talking training, nutrition, um, you know, cybergenics, robotics, things like that. Standard <laughs> fucking power athlete radio shit. Um, and <laughs> what? Am I wrong? Uh, movies. And yeah, yeah, okay, movies. So. Uh, did you put a Texas laugh disc in? I mean, yeah, I, I, did. I know that there's, uh, <laughs> you know, that there's, um, mm -hmm. you know, special things that we can get to give them. My CPU is a neural net processor. It's a thinking computer. It's a bad Ar Arnold, I guess, from T2. You don't know oh. what a neural net processor is? No. Most robots don't. Yeah. They're not aware. <laughs> Well, so question one, you know, uh, I'll go ahead and jump on this. Uh, I go back to the Elon Musk where he's like, I hope the machines are nice to us. This is from, uh, after we've been so mean to the machines, Merrick's dad. So, uh, Merrick's dad, let's click and creep on his profile or her. I don't know. I guess dad would be him or whatever. Uh, is Tex a robot? John, what do you think? 
Um, I'm going to go, you know, based off of all of the research I've been doing on whether or not something is or is not a robot, mm -hmm. I think it's a conclusive yes. You think so? Yeah. Why? Um, what? Well, let's, let's look at this from like a, like a logical way. Uh, give As a me, robot, what? Yeah. All right. Like, and I'll try to put this. Prove to me you are not a robot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when I got waxed, fucking cried. I'm still crying yeah, over it. But we can program that in. Yeah, we you could. Can't, we could you can't program tears? Yeah, you can program mm -hmm. emotion. Mm -hmm. You know, it's fake John, emotion. You ever, you ever like have that moment where you're looking around for your keys and you're like, where the fuck are my keys? You're checking all the, mm -hmm. right? And next thing, like they're in your hand. And it's just, you didn't think to look in plain view for the most obvious answer. <laughs> We've been around text for seven years. Right? Mm -hmm. And not once have we ever questioned whether he was human or a robot. Can you fucking believe that? Um, well, I just thought it was generally assumed that he was a robot. Oh, I've been thinking he's human. Well, no, you know what? I just figured yeah, like he was uh, like a deficient personality that he hadn't had enough time to actually assimilate into human emotion. Mm -hmm. And that would explain all of his blood work. <laughs> yeah. His blood work's coming back <laughs> extremely high in silicone <laughs> chips. <laughs> blood work. <laughs> copper wire. There you go. Dr. Christie, proof that... Mm. Uh, it really wasn't blood. It was more of this like sin visc, almost like yeah, a, like, a, like a oil. It was mm -hmm. really weird. Uh, but sadly, I think... Um, but don't worry. We're going to get him some new... You know, even though the hardware is a little janky, yeah, I oh, yeah. think that we can get him some better software as things evolve. And you know what? For Christmas, we're going nice to try... We're going to try to get him a program that talks about emotion, capacity, mm -hmm. uh, understanding, communication, and really just connection. I think we can hugging. get him there. We need to get him the hugging module. Ah, the hugging. Is, mm -hmm. is, is there like a... Is there a card for hugging? Kind of like a video card, but yeah. a hugging card? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll sort that out. Um, what's tech's power source? Uh, good question. It's not the sun. Because um, I was looking for different plugs, and I think that Quato thing on his foot might be the actual plug. Oh, that's in. his, that's that's his, uh, his USB port? Could be. Do you, are you concerned that John or I are robots? <laughs> no. Because are no. you alarmed that we're concerned maybe you might be? This reminds me of that website, Ted Cruz for Human President. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever walked around that? Yes. <laughs> uh, I guess if you want to burn 10 minutes, people go to tedcruzforhumanpresident.com. It's, it's really funny. funny. I don't know. I mean, a political approach, I think it's funny. I don't fucking know. Well, I, I think the problem today is that people are not really willing to laugh at themselves. And, you know, like on our deal that, you know, obviously somebody was... Uh, Asking if I was in the Beatles with, I don't know what, I, I was rocking a hat yesterday and I think I took it off and that was uh, par, part of the matted down Give hair look. Who's your pumpkin pie haircut freak? <laughs> <laughs> ah, dude, I, I like, yeah. And then the, the crazy part is the, you know, premier penguin in Power Athlete all of a sudden fucking pulls out a meme on me real Just fast. Hard roast on Baba Ganoush. Which is I fine. I, which, you know what? I, dude, I laugh at myself constantly. Uh, should we get into but you know what training laughing just... at yourself is a human characteristic yes I would agree right robots can't laugh at themselves because they don't have the ability to project outside they don't have empathy in robots mm, interesting I did not know that mm -hmm. I never knew you were so up to plugged in on robots uh, I did uh, did you guys read that book uh, called we're fucked nope the whole deal about how like artificial intelligence and like the self-learning and now we're pretty much fucked that the you know mm -hmm. as soon as the robots become self-aware that like we are the problem we're out i would agree 
It's so. the Matrix. So why do they continue to create this artificial intelligence? Didn't Facebook like yeah Robot they turned it its on own language or something? Yeah, so they turned it on and all of a sudden it created its own language and was talking amongst each other uh, to itself. Fucking Skynet. A hundred percent, and it's coming. I mean, like the whole like auto self-driving cars. I mean, all this stuff, man. Like, mm-hmm. and and I think what they're they're doing is they're, they're searching for innovation. Well, they got and rid of that. Arizona, a couple people died, so they they shut well, it down. The problem is, is that the uh, when the robot cars come up to like let's say a stop sign, if there's anything on the stop sign, it doesn't read as a stop sign. So there were stickers. Somebody had put a sticker on the stop sign, and when they went up, it doesn't because they don't have the ability to. They can program in like here's the dimensions, the heights, the size, and all the algorithms for identifying a uh, stop sign, but. If you just put a random sticker on there, how do they know to create like all those different variations? So I think what happened was that there were stickers or something was was different on the stop sign, and that's why they didn't stop. In, in Texas, your Tesla, they shut down the self-driving mode. So if it's the Texas registry, you can't do it. Uh, I think they call that the Aubrey Marcus law. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to make that joke, but not name names, but... Yeah, I mean, we, we saw Aubrey Marcus speak, and then uh, uh, that night, I guess he was driving home, self-driving, and it crashed. That'll happen. Or that's at least what he said. I like driving, though. Yeah, I do. I love it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's how we separate ourselves from the animals. Yep. That's the only difference. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. And the robots. Because mm-hmm. the robots mm-hmm. can't drive. No, because the turn signal always confuses them. Mm. Oh, they believe it. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. No. But if someone leaves their turn signal on, mm-hmm. I probably think they're are, actually going to drive. Are, you, oh, are you the guy who drives with this turn signal on? Well, sometimes, you know. Oh man! Yeah, I'm going to be turning up a few if, miles ahead. If, if you <laughs> ever, point. if you ever really want to fucking light somebody up who's like tailgating you or driving like a dick, just turn on your fucking blinker and just leave it on. Uh, it sometimes happens on Hamilton Pool unintentionally. Oh, oh, Hamilton Pool! But then I eventually turn. Yeah, yeah. It's just giving space. Yeah, fair notice. Let's yeah. get into questions. Oh, well, we can start off. Youth football is underway. John, Suryate, ideal progression of training for youth athletes with the power athlete model. Say they start showing interest in the sixth grade and training through their senior year. Um, Middle school fitness. Man, this is a lot to unpack. And I feel like we've unpacked this numerous times, but Mm -hmm. let's fucking let's bust it out. So um, ideally, like, what is the goal here? Like, what are we looking to do with our six year old or sorry, our sixth grader who would probably be right around what, 10 years old? So if you're trying to put like a 10 year old, 11 year old. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because my my daughters are in second grade and they're seven. So they'll be eight this year. So maybe even a little bit older, like what, 12, 12 for that. Grade. Okay. So if they're showing, um, you know, signs at 12 years old that they're interested in training and they want to get out and they want to start doing something, I think the easiest thing to do is just, um, you know, getting into like different like body control, different movements that are using their body. I mean, we've pretty much dispelled the myth that, you know, lifting weights early stunts growth, but I think that we're going to have a, a a huge amount of time and just a really big volume of opportunity to train with barbells. So I think it comes down to just being able to find some sports and some other training modalities that, that foster and develop athleticism. Uh, for me, especially with my own kids, um, you know, gymnastics, swimming, anything that I can do that allows them to change different environments, change orientation is important. Um, I'm not as willing to take a 
10, 11, and 12-year-old kid and put them into a gym and have them basically just start on a linear progression just because I think that there's other things that they can do. If you look at any of the Russian training manuals, and they talked about developing GPP, uh, you know, for kids, uh, you know, pre-puberty, it looked, um, you know, pretty similar to like a mixed modal, you know, GPP, metabolic conditioning, glycolytic capacity type deal. Um, the other thing which is, uh, you know, got me thinking a ton about this, uh, is also comes down to running and sprinting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were with Cal Dietz last week and, uh, you know, over dinner, he made the interesting observation that, um, you know, sprinting is by far the greatest representation of power, strength, speed, and athleticism that we could ever hope for mm-hmm. that you can tell more about an athlete by how they move and how they sprint and a lot of the deficiencies. And I think, uh, it gets overlooked so much in athletics because we figure, Oh, you know, they run, they do this, they do, you know, within their sport. But are we using the sprinting as a, uh, you know, as, as, you know, kind of user-based feedback for whether or not the training's doing well? If you have a 10-year-old kid that can't sprint, to me, that's more of an issue. That's not a strength training issue. That's not anything. I mean, I, I've, you guys have heard me drone on and tell the story about I was always a pretty fast runner, and then I, I got a big growth spurt, and uh, it really, you know, suffered my running in middle school. And, um, you know, it just that coordination could have been changed with just probably a little bit of uh, physical training and more than just doing, you know, push-ups and wrestling with my brothers. So I think just putting together a smart strength conditioning program that adds a lot of variety and a lot of different movements. And that really mm-hmm. focuses on step squat and lunge, push and pull hinge and working on developing that, you know, uh, you know, um, you and know, I guess that, I'm kind of interpreting it as like showing interest means like they want like, Hey dad, I want to lift some weights. Right. Maybe dad lifts weights. Hey, I want to start lifting weights or mom or whoever. Right. So they're going to get some gym time. So sixth grade's a little, you're thinking like a little early for bedrock. Uh, right. Yeah. But it, I mean, or okay. it, well, not like, the lifts per se, but, but the progression. Right. But, so introducing to some lifts and movement patterns with a barbell or a dumbbell is fine. But like making numbers up, John, maybe you refine for me. Maybe that's only 30% of the time spent is doing that type of shit where the other 70% is like, get out and sprint as fast yeah. as you can and fucking tumble and roll and jump and fall and get up and shit like that. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, I, I think that, uh, over the course of my athletic career, if I look at like the, uh, pivotal time in terms of athletic development, I think like the majority of that came from not only the, the sports that I played, but a lot of just within like the open loop kind of recreational type stuff I did with my brothers mm-hmm. from everything from, uh, you know, pick up basketball and all the games that we played that, you know, yeah. are, uh, you know, pretty interesting if you look at the way kids develop games because who's ever creating the game is usually the game benefits them and their skills the best like i was watching my daughter jamie who's taller than killy be like hey we should play a game to see who can touch the highest and like it's it's just it's pretty funny that kids will kind of develop games around their strength and then uh and i always tell killy sure do do whatever game jamie wants because she's always going to put you at a disadvantage which is invariably going to help you but i think um the one thing which is pretty uh pretty universal at least from my observation um you know and any of you guys that follow chris Crestor's gymnastics bodies uh like when my daughters were pretty young and i took them to gymnastics and we still take them three days a week to gymnastics and my son goes um just the amount of training the execution the ability to to generate a ton of force in a short amount of time and a lot of the skills that those kids are using in terms of how to use their body in space mm-hmm. are 
uh, at such a very pivotal point within the training lifespan of those kids that they're never going to get back. Like, it's not like as if, you know, all of a sudden here at 40 years old, we're going to get into adult gymnastics and learn those things again. Mm -hmm. So I think you have such a small window. I mean, uh, I, you know, ideally I always want kids somewhere around 13 or 14 on the bedrock profile. And before that, uh, we really just want them to be able to do something that looks like move, play, jump, sprint, run, you know, something like jujitsu, something that involves some form of throwing, like, uh, you know, judo, anything that involves some form of sliding from skateboarding to razor to, you know, snowboarding and skiing, something that changes different orientations, you know, like, a you know, tumbling or gymnastics, but also like different environments like swimming. Mm -hmm. So I think anything that you can do in terms of developing and giving them the greatest opportunity to develop, uh, the most amount of skills is really what I shoot for. Mm -hmm. Um, I would, uh, if I had like a kid who was in sixth grade that was showing a lot of interest in training, I would probably set up some markers and be like, all right, Hey, you know, we're not going to hit a barbell until, you know, we learn to swing a kettlebell until we can do this. And I'm sure there's a lot of things that we can do that just don't look like barbells. Yeah. And I think when you're talking about getting them into this like breadth of shit, the important thing isn't necessarily to be awesome at it. It's just to get better at it, right? Like there should be forward progress on it. And I feel like it also gives an opportunity to expose a kid to something they become passionate about for a period of time. And then you can help foster and like fan that flame. And, um, yeah, man asked and answered. I feel. Yeah. Hope that did it. All right. But two, Going on the other end, older athletes recently read that coordination, particularly hand-eye, cannot be improved in older athletes. What is your opinion on this? I disagree. I disagree. I think uh, for a long time, you know, there was something I remember in the rushing training man manuals I read years ago that talked about you're not allowed to or you're not able to develop grip strength past a certain age. I think it was like late teens, early 20s. And, uh, I, you know, and then actually talking to Burke Soren's dad, um, you know, uh, Richard Soren, yeah, who's master. like, who's like one of the only dudes to ever, you know, close the, uh, you know, Captain Crush and, you know, talking to him about how he developed his grip strength. And he told me that uh, his grip strength dramatically improved in his 30s and into his 40s. And, uh, you know, it was something that he continually worked to progress. And he had a whole system, you know, from isometric contractions to different reps. I mean, he was pretty systematic in it. And if you, you know, and, and uh, um, Bert's dad is in his 70s now. And, you know, he got into a car accident. He's had some health issues. But uh, you go shake his hand and it's <laughs> fucking legit. Like every time I see him, I'm always like, hey, Mr. Soren, and go give him a handshake. And I want to feel that, like, that thickness and that power in his hands. So I think, um, you know, similar to grip strength, which is, you know, your, uh, you know, great indicator of central nervous system efficiency, how hard you can squeeze something, but also with hand-eye coordination, are you doing things that continually work to develop hand-eye coordination? Now, hand-eye coordination is a perishable skill. Mm -hmm. So I just wonder sometimes if as people age, if all of a sudden things like playing catch, juggling, um, other things that we do for hand-eye coordination, like shooting, uh, you know, all those key, you know, things that involve, you know, your ability to put something on, you know, like whether it be like a football or, you know, a bullet or whatever it looks like, uh, do all of those tend to improve? Um, yeah, but if it takes work, it takes opportunity and it's just a perishable skill. So I think if you're continuing to work at things and you've, you know, developed them at a younger age and that you continue to look at this mastery, and also, I think as people age, man, they just, they kind of get stuck in their ruts. I mean, we see it all the time within Less the training willing. deal. Yeah, they're, 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 they become more inflexible. 
And you're going to hear me talk more and more about this idea of metabolic flexibility. The healthiest, strongest, best athletes are the people that can do the biggest variety of things. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, the greatest indicator of health is that metabolic flexibility, the person that consumes the most variety of foods without discomfort, you know, becomes a great indicator for not only strength and performance. So, and there's, uh, some really interesting research that talks about the most metabolically flexible people are the ones that can hold the most amount of skeletal muscle. So when you find yourself becoming so inflexible, both metabolically and also physically where, Hey, I can only do X and you don't continue to learn new games. I mean, if you go back and you look at CrossFit's original deal, the top of that pyramid wasn't the fucking CrossFit games. It was find new sports and practice them regularly. Mm -hmm. That there was this idea of training in this hierarchy and you're always working towards this like uh, mastery of new movements, the open and the closed loop, the trying to find new tasks to use your fitness. You know, the idea that, hey, you know, I'm doing thrusters to get better at thrusters was never the original intent. And when I was first approached by CrossFit, the way it was explained to me made a ton of sense and has since been perverted uh, into this fucking sport of fitness, which I think was never the original intent. And hence the reason that Glassman fucking, you know, basically packed the games with C4 and fucking clacked it off. It's just, it's, it's not, it, it was not the original intent that we were going to have people racing and fucking thrusters. Mm-hmm. So would it make sense that hand-eye coordination would deteriorate as vision deteriorates, right? Like if your uh, vision gets worse, would your hand-eye coordination get worse? Um, my vision has not deviated, mm-hmm. but also uh, this is kind of funny. I don't know if you guys remember, but years ago when we were at Little Power Athlete in Costa Mesa, Callie bought all those old, you know, remember all those old fitness magazines? Oh, yeah. So we were combing through them, and Callie's probably cackling right now as I say this, but they had a whole thing on developing and strengthening your eyes, like the idea of like looking wide, looking all over, and uh, I find myself and my eyes get tired that I start doing yeah, some to- of the stretch, uh, some of the movements, and they believe that you could train your eyes the same way. So I don't know if uh, the deterioration looking at screens uh, has done anything, but I also think, too, uh, because we look at screens and we're in this environment so much that we're not really focusing on long distance anymore, which effectively is uh, weakening our eyes. So a big thing they talked about is focusing on the horizon, trying to see things. I mean, but I do that when I drive all the time. I mean, I don't know about you. I can see far and see distance. I'm not just focused, you know, like a robot on the car right in front of me, Mm -hmm. Um, but trying to see what's globally going on. So I think um, big issue comes down to just continuing to develop and sharpen and, you know, and really just fight the hands of time in terms of developing perishable skills. Mm-hmm. So. So things like juggle, spike ball. Yeah. Pickleball. Are we Ooh, on tomorrow? Ball. You want to yep. get fucking spanked? Well, you want to buy me a smoothie tomorrow? What about you, intern? You buy me a smoothie tomorrow? I fucking bet you are. You ever going to show up to that pickleball court, big guy? Yeah, I've never been invited. I literally invited you last week. I know. It was the first time. So... You're not a robot because you lied. Well, <laughs> you guys, you guys get these pickleball games going. It's like I just figured I just never was invited. Hey, you're always welcome. Oh, okay. Just yeah, because the loser buys smoothies. Yeah. <laughs> Smoothie bet. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, I guess that seems like. I think what deteriorates is your capacity. Maybe is that a fair statement? Like, okay, in your 20s, you could push your hand eye to this, whatever that, however they measure that. But in your 40s, you could push it to like 
you know, a degree less of that. Well, how are you measuring hand-eye coordination? Uh, exactly. So yeah. uh, in the NFL, how we many had, knives you can juggle? We we had this deal which was like a light board, and um, I, yeah, I remember the guys at Naval Special Warfare had it, and so it's like a board, and there's like a whole bunch of lights, and as they go off, you go and you can touch them, and they they're able to test your like reaction time, mm-hmm. and is that uh, an element of hand-eye coordination? Um, I think that was reaction time, but yeah. your ability to I'm be sure able there's to a put, matrix. There's got to be some uh, fuckers like, studying this. Um, like. If you watch, uh, you know, I'll always forward Harry Shaw a bunch of videos, especially like old dudes that are still boxing, and they still move really well. They mm-hmm. still can measure j- distance and put their hands where they want. So when you talk about like hand-eye coordination, are all of a sudden you're going to get to the point where, um, you know, somebody throws a football and, you know, you have no ability to measure the distance and you just catch it in the face. <laughs> like if that's Simpsons the case, episode. yeah, like if that's the case, then um, you probably need to fucking play more sports. Yeah. Like I, I, I think the reason like, uh, and I always go back to this, like I think we don't get old and stop working out and training, doing these other stuff. We stop training and doing these things and then we get old. Yeah. That, that, uh, you totally. Know, because it's kind of like a fucking old car too, right? Yeah. If you don't drive it yeah, and you don't get out and smash it and fucking change the oil and do all those things, they fucking deteriorate. So I had an article about quickness from way, way back 2014 or 15, but I, I listed, um, I guess auditory, auditory motor coordination, sensory motor coordination, and ocular motor coordination. Of all three of those, I guess quickest would be that visual. Mm-hmm. But then I guess you, you lose all these. Um, may, yeah, Johnny Durrett, who is asking this question, maybe dive into that article. Simply search quickness, training, and practice on our new powerathletehq.com. Uh-huh. Ooh. Have you seen how nice that website is? I oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think they call that uh, a panty dropper. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I would have liked, I mean, you know, the original, no, no you good. know, two months that we budgeted for time that turned into like 14 months. But, you know, better late than never. Yeah. Well, you're like, hey, we got to go to Oregon for a square body. So put that project on <laughs> the back burner. Training question? I got a couple lean and able here. Okay. First one, we're going to direct towards Lean and Able, but they didn't ask directly. All right, this one's from Alex Sinek. My wife is our, our second baby. My wife? Borat? <laughs> no. Text, um, no fucking laugh on that? Upgrade your well, humor. Oh, the problem is, is robots haven't been uploaded to <laughs> Borat uh, voices. I mean, I knew it was Borat, but I'm a human. <laughs> Thanks for that. Uh, Allergies, so what? much better. Ollie? Was it a bad she's heard okay. She's heard me rave about power athlete programming for a while and now would like to, she would like to jump on Bedrock. What are your thoughts? For context, she's following birthright throughout her pregnancies and is a relatively experienced lifter. She's gotten the okay from her PT mm-hmm. to start moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that feels like, uh, feels like maybe like an iron flex and a lean and able to get going. Mm-hmm. And then the thing about lean and able is... You just make it heavier, right? So the prescriptions on there will be like kettlebell swing. You know, women, anywhere from 15 to 90 pounds. <laughs> because 203. That's what, 203. When, we, when I was going through and scrubbing some of the results, the, the weights that people select, which we know far are far less than what they're capable of, sure. right? And then even just having some friends, friends of friends who are not necessarily in the power athlete nation jump on it, reporting with them and it's like dump, single arm dumbbell press day I'll ping them for eights you know they're supposed to hit eights and it's check in and she'd be like oh I used the eight and a half pound dumb, or seven and a half pound dumbbell I'm like no you gotta go fucking you gotta go at least 25 on well that. she doesn't want to get big and bulky 
Right. And everybody, well, it's not even that. And everybody knows that if you just do eight reps at a heavyweight one time, you'll just instantly look like, you know, like The Rock. Yes, absolutely. And had that discussion as well this weekend, connecting back to like. <laughs> so uh, if I lift weights one time, I'll look like The Rock. He looks like a big muscle head. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I was talking to Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, ah, I never figured, I never put two and two together. But then would you, I would say get on that for do that six to eight weeks and try to make those workouts heavy and lean and able. And then there's probably some space for bedrock. But the tricky thing about bedrock is for it to really be sassy. You want to be sprinting. Yeah. In so, conjunction with that. And there are a lot of sprint drills mixed in there. Objective that programs primarily for that, that high schooler we were referencing earlier or first time barbellers. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of skip and sprint technique approaches so if she's down for that but the true expression of that program is going to be unlocked through that sprint combined with the linear right. progression of the barbell lean enable different focus different centric and then maybe she finds a a love and a passion for that program and changes the implement mm -hmm. to an old school barbell right to have some fun with that yeah ain't no shame in that old or school. even moving into grindstone right? oh yeah that would be, an be great well. too so i would direct her towards lean enable and then throwing that little iron flex to get her, you know, moving mm -hmm. great. Yeah. And that, so that's kind of like a recent program launch. Mm -hmm. So there's a good chance listeners haven't oh. heard of this. So iron flex is the evolution of anyone who's familiar with our dynamic. Bleh, that's why we changed the name dynamic movement prep, which was some movement therapy shit and preparatory work. And even, you know, you could substitute it on your rest days as active recovery. Uh, it was Originally, a 12-week program that you would just repeat on your program calendar and train heroic. Well, Iron Flex is the evolution of that. We're taking it into these three-week micro-focuses, and it's six days a week and gets you hot and sweaty for your workouts. Or, like, if you're stuck in a hotel room, just fucking do it twice. Like, do the prescription twice, and then you'll spend 25 minutes doing movement Is shit. Iron Flex a uh, oxymoron? No. No. Active range of motion. Yeah. Not well, just passive. I mean, but... Is iron Sit flexible? Stretch. Like Reno's the biggest little city in the world? Mm -hmm. Like iron flex? Yeah. I mean, a human would know that. Would a robot be able to pick up that that's an oxymoron? Are you looking at me now? Well, Am I the robot? I've always wondered this. Why I wondered if I'm even guy? real. At the TSAC conference, I fucking, you know, it might have been late night. It might have been after a few, uh, what were we drinking? Made or I what was, was I drinking? Oh, I was drinking vodka sodas. Yeah. Because they didn't have white claws because I'm a white claw guy. <laughs> yeah, and you drank all the red wine and, and Topo Chico combos, so you just switched to vodka sodas. Well, so I go, have you ever, okay, John, I feel like, have you ever gone in the bathroom, right? And it's like at the airport or restaurant, and it's the auto fucking wash things, right? And you're walking out from going to the urinal, and you do what normal humans do, and you go wash your hands. And you step in behind someone who's just finished washing their hands, right? Uh -huh. And it, maybe it's like your first... I guess it'd be the first interaction with an auto sensor and you put your fucking hands under there and it doesn't go on. Yeah. And I think I've, I've thought multiple times in my life, have I passed over to like Bruce Willis in the sixth sense? Have I, am I no longer real? Am I like in this weird purgatory? Well, I just thought that your hands are so small. I probably can't. No, that robot These fucking bear claws. That robot doesn't like you. Another robot. And then these people were like, no, I've never thought that. But what if that's it? Like, what if that's how we know we've passed into a, the ether or another dimension or another, you know, the next phase of our lives? Man, I, uh, that has never gone through my head as I was trying to wash Someone my hands. Someone listening has to. No. 
No. Yeah, you don't well, think so? Sims I'll tell you, the, the fact that you are this excited about White Claws makes me realize that you've gone to another dimension. Mm, they're lovely. They have 70-calorie ones, though. But <laughs> beware, buyer beware, it's because they pull out the alcohol. What, you're not what, you're a White Claw guy? How, how late is it? <laughs> Who am I hanging out with? <laughs> Lots of different scenarios to answer mm-hmm. that question. So you've never had the, you've never questioned your, whether you're like a spirit body based off of an auto sensor sink that no. doesn't go off when you no. put your hands under there. No, I, I, I figure, guys I figure when I pass over, we'll know. Well, what if It'll it is just like cla- you wake up one day crash. and it's like Bruce, Bruce Willis in Sixth Sense. He thinks he's, he thinks he's alive. He's helping out that little kid, but it turns out, spoiler alert, he's just dead ghost. And that kid sees dead people. Uh, that movie was pretty amazing. Uh, they filmed that in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And I, it was actually not far from where I lived. And I remember like all the trucks and all that. And then I was like, oh, geez, that was like right on Walnut Street. But uh, have you seen the Sixth Sense intern? Oh, just ruined it for him. Put it on the list. Yeah. Put Jesus. It on, yeah. Along with Revenge of the Nerds. Mm-hmm. And if any M. Night Shyamalan movie, I'm a fan. I don't yeah. give a fuck. I like the, the one where they're all bad. <laughs> the lady in the water yeah. was a shitty one, wasn't it? Um, it depends. He's good acting. He was, uh, like, you remember the, I really liked The Last Airbender. And then, uh, I don't ever think, think I they, did not watch that one. I, I don't I, think I've watched that one. Yeah, they had The Last Airbender, which, uh, I thought was cool. And I don't ever know if they ever brought out a sequel to it. Huh. But maybe they did. Look All that right. one up. I could be wrong. Well, I'm, I haven't seen it. I'm going to watch that one. No, the Last Airbender I thought was legit. People, uh, were lukewarm on it. I thought it was great. Well, he had already, like, he had flopped a couple before that, right? And I think he had cooled off, so people probably didn't give him benefit of the doubt. I like signs. Okay, next question. Swing away. Might be late, but I've been doing Lean and Able for the past couple months along with Johnny Bod. Mm, Obviously, combo. for the calf gains. I've been adding extra cardio due to Air Force's love of running. But... I was wondering how many days or distance or times per week that you guys would recommend to crush the 1.5 mile run. Man, I feel like we're about to launch Mm -hmm. a program Mm -hmm. that is tailored to what this guy's acting, Mm -hmm. uh, asking for. Um, You know, I know it hasn't. Well, actually, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll probably have dropped. Mm -hmm. You know, the Hammer program, the Holistic Athlete Movement Readiness program that was developed in conjunction with the work that we did with the U.S. military uh, is going to hit the commercial market here and is exactly what this guy is asking. for. Yeah, it's probably what he needs. Yeah, he he, he needs the hammer because it's it's like a, a plussed up lean enable. Right. In terms of movement selection, it's got the running incorporated. Right, and then Johnny Bod, you probably want to still keep on top of that. Yeah, though. it's 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 got some Johnny Wad influence. Um, so there's going to be you know uh, basic barbell movement, um, mm-hmm. you know different conditioning, different pieces. Uh, it's going to go and use a, a ton of testing that we're uh, that we've been using in terms of like how to eat offline with our different groups. And it just takes in 10 years of experience working as a contractor for Naval Special Warfare and also the work that we've done over the last couple of years with the, uh, with the U.S. Army. So mm-hmm. um, it's pretty cool. We've been uh, you know, testing the program for over two years offline with different groups. And uh, it's just a lot of the information that we've you know, accumulated and just some really jiggy stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm pretty excited about the hammer Yeah, and it's in response. I mean, you know there's people listening who are like, who have asked or wondered, hey, I'm following. How to hybrid. Jack Street. Field strong, Johnny one, bedrock, grindstone. How should I fit in my runs and my rucks? 
right? So we answer that question for you. And it's tailored specifically for that. And, you know, going into even the ACFT, we're working on a prep program for that. But really, we, we had a talk with one of our dudes, uh, reached out for some help on maybe getting his people trained up a little. And, uh, you know, he had the right mindset, I think, that big army leadership doesn't, or maybe they do, and they're just, this is the only way they see to get this solution in big army is to put this ACFT test out, is like, um, your capacity to pass that test should just be a product of your training. The training shouldn't specialize you for the test, right? Which yeah. is what we've been well, trying to fucking bang that war drum with the these guys for training, a long time. The training should be preparing uh, the soldiers to have the greatest capacity and you know the most amount of readiness and being able to train them as complete athletes. And mm-hmm. by putting in some you know, various tests like a reverse med ball toss and this and all the other pieces of the ACFT. Like these are all things that should be pretty easily executed if you're doing a complete training program. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, issue we've always said, and you guys know this from school, if if you only study for the test, you many times lose the entire value of the course. Right. Now, oh, if yeah. you have a uh, an excellent mastery of the course, the test just becomes a mirror of a, right. you know, a, a check you know, to make sure, you know, everything's in the right place. I know. And I, I remember, you know, when I was in college, um, you know, early on, like trying to study for these tests and then realizing that if I just mastered the course, mm-hmm. the test is just a, you know, indication of how well I was able to, you know, uh, assimilate the information to yeah. use a robotic <clears throat> term of simulation. <laughs> I guess if that's piques your interest and you're one of those servicemen and women who it's like, fuck, I'm interested. Uh, programs are called Hammer, H-M-R, and Armor, A-R-M-R. So powerathletehq.com slash Hammer, H-A-M-R, powerathletehq.com slash Armor, A-R-M-R. Enough about us. Let's talk about them. Uh, uh, let's talk about them. The, the we, the royal oh. we. Well, personally, I'd like to stick with a thought that John just said, and then, I mean, that goes back to our early discussions with the Power Athlete methodology, and we didn't want this to be just a test you take, pass, and then here's your your piece of paper. Mm -hmm. No, we wanted to develop it, to ingrain it within you as a coach, and you know how to read, react, and make the correct decision for your athletes, whether that's building and writing out our program or in the moment, coaching and leading the athlete. I think what's so unique with the power athlete methodology that's just so different from anything else I've been associated with is um, it really gives you the nuts and the bolts and the information for success in terms of the strength conditioning, training your athletes, understanding movements. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you look at, you know, some of the other certifications and, you know, we've done them and, you know, we know them well. I mean, especially just within the bylaws of the NSCA and their deal, it has to be very um agnostic of pointing in a direction it presents you all the information and here's this you know wide variety and extremely uh important information but in terms of like the how you know what do i need on day one how do i most effectively train my athletes what movements this uh it just doesn't fit within you know the narrative and i think where power athlete uh, has gone with the methodology is being able to strip down and provide coaches the greatest amount of information to guarantee success immediately. Like if you're a coach or you're somebody out there who's thinking like, ah, you know what? Um, I need some more inspiration. I don't feel like, um, you know, understand this. I mean, coming in and having, you know, not only all the information and all the coaches I've worked with, but you know, really the information we've gleaned over the last 10 years, traveling the world and teaching hundreds of seminars and working with athletes on every single continent, whether it be, you know, tactical athletes, professional Olympic, whatever it is, and being able to go in and can you walk in there day one and knock their socks off? And really that's what 
the goal for the power athlete methodology and really the evolutionary piece of the block one. And, you know, but even for people that have no desire to ever be a block one coach, the foundational information and the resource that the, uh, that the methodology provides, I think is better than just about anything else I've ever seen. But even if you didn't want to be a proverbial coach, getting into that network gives you fucking access to really switched on people that can help you at any fucking time. Well, but I don't know. So, uh, but, I, but I know what you mean because it's an investment. You got to come out here. You got to fucking test in front of Luke, John, and Tex. And it's kind of like you know, number one's capital investment. Like you have to fucking prepare for it. It's hard. But, uh, but don't you think like, uh, uh, you know, to truly develop, I mean, I always go back to the analogy of like, you know, now how do you polish a diamond? It's with friction. You have to put yourself after your, uh, out of your comfort zone. Yeah, you have to get out of your house. You have to put yourself in deeper waters, learn new information, and then see if you can come apply that information in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. If it's just, hey, I think I'm just going to, you know, look from the outside and never really get involved because I don't really ever want to be, you know, put in, put myself into a situation of whether mm-hmm. or not I sink or swim. I just think it's, um, it's disingenuous. You're doing yourself a, a disservice. Mm-hmm. You know, like invest, come in, see how the information works. Oh yeah. The man in the arena. Yeah. Yeah. The man, the man in arena, not the critic. I mean, it, um, yeah. Uh, like every day I think about this in terms of like, you know, like what can I do to improve upon not only power athlete, but myself and like, whether it's, um, you know, searching for new books to read, you know, meeting new people, uh, you know, listening to new information, doing new things within training. I mean, deep diving into this and surrounding myself with people that I think are much smarter than me. Uh, to me, I think that's the only way that you can ever dramatically improve is by getting out of your comfort zone and putting yourself in and asking questions and really going back to that always be a white belt. Like I, I have no problem asking questions and, um, you know, even though, and I think people really struggle with this. Like nobody ever wants to be thought of like, oh, that guy's an idiot. That guy asked a beginner question. Everybody always wants to be thought of as an equal. And like, dude, you guys know me, I'll fucking ask anything. Mm-hmm. Like I have no problem putting myself in a situation where like, yeah, I know a lot, but like if there's somebody that knows more than me, I will ask. And like, dude, I'll stand on that doorway for, you know, for three days and, you know, want to know the information. And, um, I think with, uh, the methodology having, you know, not only walked into hundreds of gyms over the course of a decade and then, you know, and what's, what even blows my mind more is I played in the NFL for 10 years and then I did, I've done this just as long. And, um, you know, the information that we've gleaned out of all those experiences and all those different groups and all those different people we've worked with to be able to like, to take that, distill it down and to be able to provide somebody the information that they need based off of all of that. I, I don't think there's anything like it in the world. So just marking the different learning experience that a strength and conditioning coach has. So we have conferences, we have certifications, we have seminars, we have online courses like our Power Athlete Methodology. And I guess we reverse engineered the Power Athlete Methodology from three different perspectives, the student, the coach, and the teacher. So if you think about it, that is the hat that a coach is always wearing. You're a student if you're standing across from a peer or a more experienced coach then you are a coach, a leader when you're working with your peers and directing your your team of athletes. And then you're almost a teacher when it comes down to one-on-one situations if it's peer-to-peer. So, if, for example, if I'm teaching Luke a different movement or the objective of today's training sessions, or if I'm coaching, cueing, directing an athlete. So that we give that opportunity to take on all these hats as you get into it. But if we go to seminars, and we know the seminar game in and out, we're the best in the business no question about it. That's two days of you're just a student. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, and we did 
I think, a really good job yeah, of deliberate. giving people an opportunity to coach, and then we coach them coaching. Mm-hmm. And then in certifi- certification, it's, it is just a simple test of competency. I'm taking a 150-question exam Mm-hmm. That is very broad, as we, we spoke of. And then a conference, it's it's uh, a shotgun blast of information from a lot of different experiences. A lot of them get the opportunity to be on the floor and then ask deeper questions because the hopefully the the instructors, the, the speakers, they stick around for a while and, and immerse themselves in that. So it's a different learning experience, but not as, as hands-on and deliberate and directing as a coach, a teacher, and hopefully a student needs to be. So it's, it is a unique learning experience and you'd expect nothing of power athlete to create and implement and damn near try to, to master proof these things and change as we needed to see mm-hmm. change. And then the evolution to the block one where in my experience, we're the only organization that provides direct feedback, mm-hmm. right? Coach needs a coach for you to adjust and continue to develop and improve. It's not just getting this piece of paper. No, it's a, it's a forged hand block. And then you enter a network that it, they realize all of our team of block one coaches that it's something special. And if you walk in there, they're going to test you in mm-hmm. iron sharpens iron within that group, which, you know, I'm super it's proud exactly of what we yeah, we're hoping yeah. for. So it's, uh, I don't know, it's just a, a cool learning experience and something that I guess, John, that you experienced in your education as a student and then we've done our damnedest to to recreate to empower these people for that constant improvement mm-hmm. yeah i mean everybody that walks away with it uh it's like you know i'm but now am i a better coach um i understand how to work better without it and like you know a lot of these kind of black box things where you know really uh not a lot of coaches have the opportunity to go and intern with uh aaron osmus and, you know, sit there and, you know, at his, you know, at his door and see how it's all done. And I think, um, you know, unless you're willing to go that kind of monk strength coach route, there's really just not a ton of opportunities and you're not going to find it on a message board. Uh, as much as I love Dave Tate, you know, you can listen to all of his podcasts and he's going to, you know, he's not going to talk to you about how to train big groups. He's not, that's not what he does. Um, you know, and you can listen to Brett Bartholomew and all these guys and start pulling it and collectively. But at the end of the day, we needed to create a course that empowered the user if they had to walk into a room and all of a sudden work with 30 kids that day. How does it look? You know, what does the training look like? How do you start? Where do you do this? How do you all these other nuts and bolts pieces and sit over here, you know, being like, oh, hey, let's talk about, you know, different muscle insertions and this. I mean, which is really the foundational information that you need. But at the end of the day, um, People just need to know what to do and they need to be able to provide opportunity and they can like wander around in the desert for 40 years with a flashlight hoping to find it or they can sign up for the methodology, come in, join the team and we'll get you going in the right direction and uh, you'll be running 100 miles an hour before you know it. And you can answer all these questions yourself instead of asking us. Yeah. If you're into that whole type of thing. What? Self-realization? Uh, can robots, self-actualization. Can, can robots self-actualize? I don't think so. What do you think, robot? <laughs> that was funny. That was a funny one. Um, speaking glitch in the software. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of conferences, relevant question here, and I will make fun of myself in this question by me reading it. <clears throat> Pleasantly surprised you didn't allow Tex to wear his niece's shoes to the NSEA Tactical <laughs> Conference. Mm-hmm. With that said, great talking with you. Any takeaways from said conference on? Or off 
the presentation floor. Hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, I thought Caldeets would have eaten more meat. Burn bin. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't familiar with eating Brazilian at a Brazilian steakhouse like a, a starving stray dog. <laughs> no, he wasn't. I was like, hey, he's chewing, <laughs> cutting <laughs> Nuts, normal just... sized chunks of meat. Uh, I'll take this one, guys. So one of the, the cool experiences is we just get to have fun conversations on the side with a lot of switched mm-hmm. on people, one of which is a future Power Athlete podcast guest, uh, Karen. So one mm-hmm. note that she had was mm-hmm. yes. the term this is tactical athlete and her term that she applies to the, the individuals that she works with, a warfighter. Right. So, the because, limit- so I'm going to just to seed this. Okay. Everything is being marketed and we even have questions like there's this yeah. persona of tactical athlete and which kind of makes me, ah, it just, I don't know. It, it, it never felt I right. I understand the intent because athletes at the professional level receive the highest level of human performance training and monitoring and intervention. So that's, I understand why they're grabbing onto that, but to her point text, and I'll kind of pass it off to you is now they're, they're misappropriating a lot of the shit because they're trying to make better football players of soldiers. For example, I'm making like being very general, but so text handoff, I didn't mean to cut you off. So I I have a lot of um, opinions on this based off. I sat in on as many presentations as I could and, and tried to soak up a lot of the, the experienced coaches in this realm because it's, it is new to me. So when we are going in and, and, basically doing some awesome things with some clandestine group. I'm trying to learn as much as I can to evolve how I communicate with them because it's a lot of my first time working with that high level of warfighter. Right. Um, but how do you break into this industry? It is through sports performance of how you break into the tactical athlete coach field, however the hell you want to describe it. I just really appreciated her term for these individuals of warfighter because – taking the cap and the mindset of a sports performance coach and bringing it in there, it is not. We can specifically reverse engineer our strength and conditioning in-season, off-season programs for specific demands, and then we get this freedom of a break in off-season when a lot of them, their scenarios are, are instant. It's impossible to prepare for. So I guess hearing and listening to the, the experience of how they analyze, there's so much data. I've never seen... There was more s- data on these athletes. Is it data or data? Data is a character on Star Trek. Oh, yeah. da- there's so much data on these athletes. <laughs> that's that's he one is uh, every year for Halloween, didn't you? I mean, he's the most famous robot, isn't he? I don't know. I think uh, the most famous robot is the uh, fuck. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. No, the that one, one from that movie where he reads a book real fast and he's. Squ- <sighs> I'm a fucking Rain Man. No, you'd seen you this. Lost me. You fucking seen this. Robot movie, 80s. Fuck, I'll find it. Okay, anyway. No, so, uh, um, yeah, I mean, they've, they've done a ton of, of, uh, of, like, empirical research on the demands of the athletes. And I really, um, you know, Karen had an incredible observation where she said, you know, everybody's trying to use these different kind of, like, uh, you know, periodization tables, and they're trying to do this and this. You mean Terminator? Robocop? Short circuit. Short circuit. Ah, Johnny Five. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> The, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. Um, 
the one thing that she really brought up is that this like, you know, needing of like a concurrent training model where you're, you know, and, and we've, we've seen it within our own training and we've really proved this, that you can really be very successful with a concurrent training model in terms of, you know, can I develop strength? Can I develop power? Can I develop speed? And can I, you know, have a, a you know, fairly decent amount of aerobic capacity so that I can, you know, utilize all these and have an efficient uh, recovery system. And I think like all you have to do is really just kind of look and see, you know, Hey, what I need to tweak specifically for each athlete. Um, but you know, that idea of a concurrent training model and understanding and training these guys in a holistic approach, approach from being like, well, we're going to do this block of strength and we're going to do this. And I think that's just a real failure. Mm -hmm. Um, but also using, uh, time outside of the gym and really the training as a bigger piece, like the guys that we work with, you know, do a ton of trips. They are constantly doing training, uh, you know, within what I would call their sports skill, really that, uh, you know, what, what do we call it when we were uh, task-specific preparedness? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, TSP. The T, yeah, the TSP. The, you know, so we got in this idea of GPP, general physical preparedness, and then there's an SVP, specific physical preparedness. And I really took it a step further in the discussions of this idea of like task-specific preparedness. What is the task that is required of me? What do I have to do? And really that came from a conversation we had with a guy when we were down at Fort Bragg working with the 18th Airborne uh, that was a generator mechanic that had to... Uh, you know, would basically get dropped with all of his tools and would have to fix the the front line battery uh, generators for shooting the big, you know, missile deal. And, uh, you know, he's getting dropped in austere environments. You know, it's hot. It's, uh, you know, it's sandy. It's dirty. You know, these things are, you know, online, they're offline, and then having to go in and diagnose and fix these problems. And uh, hearing the demands of what he was required to do really just kind of changed my thinking and thought like, hey, um, does this individual need to be extremely capable? Does he have to have a ton of capacity to be able to do this? Does he have to have a high level of skill? And does he have to be able to diagnose and recall information under under stress? And then how do you train for that? Well, the only way to train for that is by putting yourself in the environment, but making sure that you know, you've done enough of a concurrent training model that you're really prepared for whatever is thrown out to us. So I think there's just they're going to get into this thing over time and they're going to realize that you know they have to be very specific in how they're training these guys within the actual, you know, sports specific realm. Mm-hmm. And one more note with the term. So I'm not, I'm not shitting on it. All those guys, I trust them that they know better than I do. But uh, speaking to one individual about how important that term was for him and his role, because he's going to Congress and he's fighting for funding and he sees, all right, this Senator's from Michigan Knows he went to University of Michigan, and he's a big sports guy. Mm-hmm. So he just walks by him. Let's go, Blue. Guy turns around, gives him a moment. Mm-hmm. And this is his opportunity to talk to a familiar tactical athlete. He knows the Michigan weight room. He knows every player on the football team. And mm-hmm. this opportunity, I'm just throwing Michigan out there as an example, but the opportunity to make a representation connection between the demands and the funds and what's needed to fight for these individuals mm-hmm. that are training for well, life and death matters. It goes back to the talk I did at the, um, uh, at the war college in DC last year. Uh, you know, the, one of the, the, the best quotes I got came out of world war two and I can't remember who said it, but, uh, the army, you know, within their field training manual is, uh, training for war is similar or what was it? Training for war is training for sport. So the idea of like, you know, developing the uh, grenade is a similar size to a, uh, a baseball. And they felt that, you know, training for sport was the greatest thing that they could do in terms of war fighting. And, uh, I mean, that's been, that's been the mindset for, you know, call it the last hundred years. 
the problem is, is we had this huge deviation in the 80s where all of a sudden we, you know, put in a push-up, sit-up, uh, run test. And that wasn't very reminiscent of what the demands of the soldier were in terms of being, you know, strong enough to carry heavy loads over long distances. And we've learned a ton within, you know, the fact that we've been at war for the last 20 years. I mean, I remember General Cameron's statement that there are kids entering the military who were born after 9-11, who, who don't ever remember a time before we weren't in war. Now, I mean, if you go back and look at America's history, I think we've been at peace like 14 years of the last 200 and some years we've been a, a country. But in terms of like an active ongoing war, I mean, we're coming up on, you know, 20 years here, you know, two decades. And so it's, um, you know, the, the lessons that we've learned, uh, you know, should be, you know, monumental. Mm-hmm. And the idea of like trying to extrapolate out and say, hey, what are they doing within this, you know, performance training realm for sport and then trying to bring it here? I think the, the idea with TSAC and a lot of these other groups and being like, you know, uh, these warfighters need the best and they need to understand that a concurrent training model that's able to balance, you know, power, strength and speed and capacity and put them in the best light. And it's really what we spent the last two plus years doing with, uh, you know, the U S military in terms of developing the hammer program. So, uh, and what was different than just about anybody else is we got the opportunity to go in, train and implement these programs in small groups and really get a ton of user-based feedback through not only train heroic, but our, our other medians for it and being able to take those lessons and then be able to push them out. And I think what's interesting too, is, uh, everybody has this idea of like, Hey, this is what I want to do. And until you get into the scenarios, you're like, I know what I want to do, but what can I most effectively accomplish? What's the maximal return for the minimal investment? And how do we create efficiency and, and adherence and just making sure that people are, you know, committed to it. And, you know, the most consistent individual is by far has the greatest chance for success. Yeah. Bottom line, great experience. Thanks, Nate, for the uh, yeah. mm-hmm. helping you. us out there. And yeah, met a lot of cool people and the a old, lot of power athlete people and the old mm-hmm. fashions. And the old fashioned, you know, uh, power athlete is pivoted from our uh, Moscow Mule, you know, team drink to the old fashioned. What? Oh yeah, white uh, old fashioned, old fashioned white claws. Yeah. Oh god. Hmm. So is that an old fashioned with? No. The problem is, is Luke can't buy old fashions anymore because school's back in, and all sorority girls have bought them up. No white claws. Yeah. You said old fashioned. I meant white claws. Yeah. They have. <laughs> they have those sorority girls in their white claws. I wish I could be in a sorority again. <laughs> you know, Barstool's got a pretty good thing with all the different sororities, and there's usually a white claw joke about every other, oh, yeah. other one. No. Oh, for sure. Listen, hang on. If you think I don't know that it's douchey, you're way off base. Yeah, but, every, but everywhere you go, you roll in with a 12 or a white claw. That's right. I do. No one's going to drink them. I drink my own white claws. Uh, you know, when we were in uh, uh, Summer Strong and I woke up like in the middle of the night and I was dying. <laughs> this is great. I, I like, so uh, I don't drink very often and we started drinking kind of early. And so I went to bed at, at like five o'clock mm-hmm. and uh, I woke up at like midnight, really thirsty, went downstairs and I <laughs> thought we bought bottled water and I thought that maybe these white claws were water and mm-hmm. I just cracked them, drank a bunch of them and then went back to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. And I was like, fucker. I was like, these were awful canned waters. And you're mm-hmm. like, well, they're white claws. They have alcohol in them. I'm like, didn't taste any of it. Mm-hmm. No, you don't. Which is great for sorority girls and me. <laughs> <laughs> Only 70 calories. That's right. What do we got? Let's get out of training. Okay. We're out of training. Are we ready for random or you want to, uh, oh. no, let's do like a nutrition. You got it. Let's do this fat, fat one. John strap in. You're taking this one. All right. You want me to read it? You got it. Uh, I'll read it because I have but, no take on but this. But only if you're able to do it in a robot voice. Oh, best robot voice. <laughs> Le- uh, great. I'll come back. To it. 
I got to look up grandma's boy quotes and I'll come back to it. <laughs> That's pretty good. Tip. Okay. So let me, I'll think of it and practice it while John answers this question. All right. Is dietary fat burned before stored fat? If so, in the case of someone who is not lean, cut, etc., would it make more sense to use a lower fat diet until body composition goals are met, burning all the stored fat that they can, then adjust to a more low carb diet where fat and carbs are based on performance and life goals? You okay. Oh, hang on, fuck. hang on. For our Keep listeners going. who don't go on YouTube, yeah, yeah. Okay. For listeners who don't see us on YouTube, John's just doing face palm, head rubbing. He's getting, you know, okay, go, relieving go. stress. Keep going. Yeah, go okay. on, go on. <clears throat> it seems that many people on keto and low carb who have never been single digit body fat just lose water weight and bloat, but never really dig into the visceral fat stores. While those who have gone low fat at some point and are the ones with full abdominal, abdominal cuts and now maintain on a healthier fat diet. Higher fat diet. Higher fat. So this is from... Thoughts. My father-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> I answered this question for nine hours this weekend Jesus. twice. Or this... Yeah, this weekend. So you're up, buddy. Okay. Just throw all that out. Just, like, stop. Yeah. All right. Here's the deal. Um, at the end of the day, the law of thermodynamics is going to teach us that if you consume more calories than you burn, you're going to store excess as body weight or body fat. Mm -hmm. Now, can you actively and do you really believe that the body has some like amazing hierarchy where like you only burn fat? Well, first off, does primary store your first line of defense is going to be oxygen, right? Yeah. Then it goes to carbohydrate. Yeah, it goes glucose. Right. Okay. And then in theory... You can become fat adapted. Sure. Well, like you, you, you can start to burn fat, right. but but what the you know? But that's not adipose tissue. That's no. fat within the mitochondria, right? Yeah. Okay. Go on. And it just it, like I'll just give you some observations that I've made. I've seen um, every single person. I've I've seen people that were shredded from a high protein, high fat, low carb diet. I've seen people that were shredded from a high protein. Uh, low fat, high carb diet, and I've seen people that were shredded out on a uh, isocaloric diet. Um, the the greatest. Let's, I'm going to go crazy. Okay, there are shredded people who are meat free. Yeah, I've, there are people that are. Yeah. So you call that like a, a poor quality protein, probably yeah. higher carb, lower high, fat, fat diet, yeah, right? Yeah. But it's out there. Yeah. For the sake of argument. So I always think that um, the fact that people use body fat as a representation of health is pretty interesting, too, mm -hmm. um, because by that definition, then you would look and say, OK, hey, bodybuilders are the healthiest people on the planet right. where we right. know that they or are physique people are, right. yeah, are many times the most unhealthy individuals. Dr. William Willie, right? Yeah, he Dr. Wiley or Wiley. So that's a good episode. We should have him back on. Yeah, he's, okay. he's pretty switched on. But that idea of uh, body fat being this indication and then the idea that, hey, um, I can burn, you know, visceral fat at a different rate I, that I can burn uh, subcutaneous fat. Uh, it just I just think you're overcomplicating way too many things. And I'll just make it simple. Uh, the only macronutrient I've ever seen that has any real play on body composition is protein. So uh, if the one thing that's universally true about everybody that carries uh, an inordinate amount of lean body mass, they usually have a pretty high protein 
consumption rate. So high protein. The rest of it comes down to really just, uh, you know, carbohydrates and fat are basically come down to taste, at least in my book. If whatever allows you to adhere to your diet the best, whether it be a higher fat, higher carb, or just a kind of a balanced piece. I think there was this idea that there was like some magic super, you know, macronutrient ratio that would somehow unlock body composition. And I think really the only biggest factor I've really seen in terms of leaning out and body composition comes from lifting weights, eating a high protein diet and eating in a caloric deficit. And so I was going to go diff or maybe throw a layer on that is whatever combo also allows you to like, uh, uh, adhere to the, yeah. the approach, right? Well, well, so, so like, um, my wife and I had a pretty good, interesting conversation. She asked, you know, like, what's the psychology of a lot of people? Like, why do so many people fail? And I'm like, well, because what within the diet space, yeah, within the diet space, what they we don't want to get outside of that. No. Cause why do people fail at uh, life? Life. Oh, we well, have a lot of theories, but uh, think about this, right? Looking and and she, she was uh, talking about like, um, my wife's in phenomenal shape. Uh, she fucking shredded out and it's just, uh, whenever she goes anywhere, she gets, you know, all these women ask her like, oh, I could never do that. I could never do this. How do you do this? And how do you do that? And then she always asks them like, well, what are you doing? And it's usually something that's extremely uh, just fucking extreme. It's like I only eat one hot dog a day for five days. And then on the weekends, I just eat whatever I want. Mm -hmm. Sounds familiar. Right. And it's just like the, these crazy Hot things. And I'm like, man, this is Pocket insane. Dogs. Oh, yeah. What comes down to is consistency. And, uh, you know, like as much as I think Lane Norton's a douche, he's pretty accurate on this thing that like the, uh, the person that can maintain the caloric deficit, the longest tends to be the person that loses the most amount of weight. Mm -hmm. And if you're eating and if you set your calories at a certain amount and you weigh yourself and you're not losing weight, you're not really in a caloric deficit. That's an interesting piece. And people mm -hmm. are like, well, I'm, I'm eating a caloric deficit. I'm like, well, how do you know? But is it so go back to my in-laws, right? So but there is a way to get into a caloric deficit and go into starvation mode. Yeah. Right. And but what you then do is like then you kind of trend towards a sedentary life that allows you to be calorically deficit. Well, and then like, it's just well, pounding issue there, right? Here's the other issue too. What happens is, is uh, people don't make just one life change. So all of a sudden, Hey, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to eat less food, but now I'm going to work out. So now all of a sudden what they've done is mm -hmm. they've increased their workouts in a caloric deficit, which is a guaranteed way to completely fail. Cause what happens is you get under this weird starvation mode and then you just fucking binge. Mm -hmm. So what we found is that people that are in an active dieting space that are like within this diet mode, like, Hey, I'm going to eat, you know, anywhere from like two to 500 calories less than I'm, um, you know, burning a day. The problem is, is that you have to ratchet back intensity in the training space and you'd have to say, Hey, you know what? I'm, uh, I'm leaning out and I can honestly think the leanest I've ever been when I was like six, 7% body fat was by far my shittiest training. Yeah. I was, oh, yeah. I was at my weakest. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, but what's amazing is people are like, Oh, you know, you look like you train. They're asking all these questions. And the I'm Mark like, Bell effect. Yeah. And it's like, uh, like the problem is, is we have this idea of like what we think strength is. And it looks like, you know, the, it's just, it's, it's really pretty interesting. But I think in terms of the dietary fat, I mean, in this, uh, for the last 70 years, we vilified dietary fat, mm -hmm. uh, but we know that there's no link between heart disease and high cholesterol. We know that, you know, the worst thing I ever did was, you know, call the fat on your waist, the fat on your plate. It just doesn't make sense. And then I'll tell you this, within the last 10, 15 years, all of a sudden there's been big switch where now carbs were evil. And uh, if you guys have ever heard me say, there's no such thing as evil foods. Like chocolate cake is an evil. Now, if you sit down and eat 
a fucking chocolate cake every single day, then you're going to run into some problems. But at the end of the day, the chocolate cake's not stealing your pin out of your ATM and stealing money out of your account or impregnating mm-hmm. your wife. It just doesn't make sense to me. So the idea is, um, and if you're going to say anything is evil, it's the overconsumption. Yeah. Like, like I came to this realization, the evil foods are the foods you eat too frequently. Yeah. Right. Well, but uh, um, I in, that's in, like caution in, on that as well. Right. In the, but, uh, um, in the, story of your uh, mother and father-in-law, the reason they're in caloric deficit, but what they found, which is pretty interesting, is if you're in a caloric deficit in your dieting, protein has to be higher because not only is protein more satiating, but it's also the only macro that really prevents uh, or... Uh, yes, sarcopenia. Yes. So yeah. the idea of like maintaining lean body mass stems from consuming protein. So they always talk about... In, and we found this to be the case that if you're in a caloric deficit and in some form of like dieting, leaning out mode, like, hey, I'm trying to cut weight, protein has to be higher. And we'll push it up as, as high as, uh, you know, gram point two, you know, to, you know, 1.5 grams per pound of body weight. Now, if you're eating more calories and you're in like more of a maintenance mode, you can drop protein, you can up the others. But at the end of the day, if you're in a caloric deficit, you better be eating the shit out of protein. Right. And then another, another, so let me repack this question. And then the idea, well, and, and the other one too is, yeah, I mean, carbohydrates keep uh, water in the cell. So that's the idea of like, you know, um, you know, Hey, I just go keto. When, when they low, yeah. They, they drop in their, their idea of dropping water weight. Yeah. I mean, the idea that, uh, you know, carbohydrates, uh, you know, keep water in the cells. But if you look in, you know, and we got our blood work done and text will be the first to tell you, you know, in that Krebs cycle, your body can convert ketones and start pulling from fat to convert. But at the end of the day, like carbs aren't the devil. No. So let me repack this question. So John, you, you crushed the second part, right? So what's the deal with like lean people going on keto and losing weight, water weight? Yeah. Carbs and water weight, right? Well, why? Uh, why? I'd say... Think, so, uh, think about this, right? Because so uh, um, I think the reason... The, okay, so, so two things. The reason that people lose weight fasting, right? So first of all, I don't mean to fucking destroy any mess and regardless of the nonsense you're going to send me. And I, dude, I said it 10 years ago and I haven't changed my position in the last 10 years. Fasting is just a really jiggy weight into caloric restriction. For healthy people. All this like idea that, you know, I mean, you can get people that are metabolically broken and let's say you have uh, tremendous gut inflammation. All of a sudden I go from, um, you know, inflaming myself for 12 hours a day over the course of four meals and I cut it down to six hours Mm -hmm. and I feel instantly better because I'm limiting the amount of exposure if I have some form of gut inflammation. But for healthy individuals, if you can't, uh, you know, weigh and, and, you know, you know, adhere to a caloric restriction, it's just really easy just to like confine all those calories to three or four hours a day. Right. And it's just a really fun way to into caloric restriction and I'm all for it. But when you start talking to me about all this magic and this and this, it's just fucking nonsense for 10 years. We've always said it, it's just a really good way into caloric restriction. And if you can't monitor yourself and you can't like, Hey man, uh, I'll fucking overeat. I don't have any self-control. Then just be like, Hey, I'm going to give you, uh, this window to consume out of. Um, I think the reason people tend to do very well on a ketogenic diet and drop weight just comes from the fact that you cannot over consume protein and fat. And the reason being, if you do, you usually get diarrhea. Mm-hmm. So if you eat too much fat, you'll get diarrhea. And if you overeat on protein, uh, it's, you're extremely full. Look at, uh, you know, you go to Brazilian barbecue and we sit down, we eat all that meat. I Ooh. mean, 
I could do that probably once a day. Mm-hmm. If I sat there, if I didn't eat all day and I went to dinner, I could crush all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, could I do Brazilian barbecue three times a day? No, it's extremely difficult to overeat on protein. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and so what we figured is that, you know, protein is extremely satiating. Uh, you know, like it's kind of like if, um, if you go eat a steak, you're still full an hour later. If I go out and eat sushi, I could Mm -hmm. probably eat more sushi 20 minutes later. So a realization I also had on this, that like that type of approach is, so we're talking about a very acute event of like a high dose of calories, something that needs to be considered there on whether that's like good, bad, or doesn't really matter is the trend. So what have you been doing for the past fucking eight weeks leading up to that point? Like if you've just been binging on carbs, 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 and then you dose into this super hypercaloric load yeah. of fat and protein, like it, it's going to count. It's going to weigh against you. It's moving the needle negatively. And especially if you're a sedentary person, you know what I mean? Now taking into our lifestyle, which is train, you know, like four to two to four days a week, <laughs> maybe five over here, but training regularly, right? Having a very mindful approach to balance in terms of your micronutrient balance, you know what I mean? Hydration and sleep, smashing big doses of fat and protein are not going to be as detrimental as, let's say, the alternative, which is huge doses of fat and carbohydrate. Yeah, right. No, um, where, where you start getting into the really the danger zone and also where we get into trouble is by far the most glorious place, which is when you mix fat and carbohydrates, i.e., Cake, uh, uh, cake frosting is a classic mm. example of... Like uh, Oreo balls. No, mm. but, uh, but think about cake frosting, right? It's lard and sugar. Uh, there's that a was my nickname in college. <laughs> lard and sugar. Hard no. lard and sugar. No, like... <laughs> you I, I mean, I mean there, there were probably, like, uh, you know, and Rob Wolf's talked about this. Like, if you eat, like, you know, hey, I'm going to eat some protein and some carbs, this. When you start just eating fat and carb, mm-hmm. yeah. that's when you fucking run into some, uh, you know, into Shit a lot goes, of yeah, yeah, haywire, things go fast. Sure. So with the metabolic derangement. So in short, um, yeah, let me repack. And then, yeah. okay. Yeah. So yeah. the question, here's how I'm interpreting the question. Guys hearing a lot of fucking shit. Cause there's all sorts of shit within nutrition. What he wants to know is how does he get shredded? How does he lose visceral fat? That's what so I'm saying. So here's number the, one is check out the leaning protocol, yeah. right? Is there merit in doing? Are, are you uh, well? Let's, let's let's make it simpler. Are you lifting weights? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, are, me. Right. Right. Kind of. Are Are you lifting weights? Are you doing some form of conditioning that looks like getting your heart rate up? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you eating in a caloric deficit? Are you eating enough? Well, actually, I'll, I'll go to number thing. Are you eating a substantial amount of protein? Mm-hmm. And are you eating in a caloric deficit that's justified by the scale, not by just hey, I think I'm eating under eating. Right. So measured caloric deficit. And another thing I came into on that on caloric deficit, and it's kind of it depends on body composition and body weight, right? But you you have this goes into training into a deficit because if you ha- if you require such a caloric deficit where you can't adequately like achieve nourishment, like. I think that that starts to put you in a bad space mentally. So that's why if you have a caloric load that is baseline, I think is what we were kind of calling it, right? If you go with a baseline load that allows you to have enough of the, the Roy G Biv, right? Then train into your deficit. That to me seems optimal. I mean, uh, 20 fucking years ago, I remember talking to Dr. Tom and he, you know, his whole deal is, you know, the easiest way to lose weight what you need to do Amputate. Is, is, <laughs> is figure out, you know, your basal metabolic rate, your BMR, right? Eat your BMR and then use your training and your lifestyle to train into the deficit. And like, to me, that was easiest. I'd go get my BMR done. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time it was like 4,300 calories. And I was like, holy shit, I'd, I'd been eating like four. No wonder I was, uh, 
you know, I was training too far into a deficit. Mm -hmm. And that really just made me realize I had to up my calories. And what was amazing was when I upped my calories, all of a sudden, like not only the protein go up, I got leaner and I got in better shape. And the reason being is I wasn't always in this fight. So like you can, here's the deal. You can fight in a caloric restriction as long as protein is constantly high, mm-hmm. as long as you're like eating that gram to a gram a half, all of a sudden the body composition changes. I mean, do you think like it just, if you look at the way, you know, and, um, you know, for all the jokes we make on bodybuilders, I mean, not only is there dedication to training diet and all the other crazy shit. Right? Yeah. It's fucking, it, yeah. I mean, to see somebody get in shape for, for a bodybuilding show is pretty fucking difficult to watch because it's so extreme, but in terms of making a bigger, more jacked, leaner athlete, they got the fucking market cornered on that. Yeah. And what those guys do is uh, they eat a ton of protein. They're in a caloric deficit. And other than that, man, I mean, it's really not that jiggy. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, um, you know, when somebody asks me what diet is the best one to follow, I tell them the one that you can actually follow. Bingo. We know that adherence because here's the deal, man. Uh most people, if you give them just a free eat, they'll probably eat low on protein because it's extremely satiating. Mm-hmm. They'll overeat on fat and they'll overeat on carbohydrate. Maybe on the carbs. Uh, you're probably right. Because probably I, I mean, right. because think, think about yeah. it, like uh, like one bag of chips has got like 120 grams of carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you think about a cup of cooked rice, 200 grams has got like what, like 50 grams of carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, a quarter cup of oatmeal is like 25 grams of carbohydrate. Yeah, for sure, everyone's high on fat who's not being mindful. Yeah, right? I mean, if you sit down and have two tablespoons of almond butter and eat some form of red meat, Right. All over the course of the day, you're going to be over fucking 75 grams of, of, of mm-hmm. fat in your diet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think that like the idea of like uh, really understanding about not only how much you're eating, but being able to do this. And at the end of the day, like like there is no secret recipe like, uh, you know, I've I've never but like this. Um, I think I told you guys like when I in my second year, they had this um, idea. They were like, hey, they wanted me to be like 320 pounds. So I like, I didn't run, I didn't do any conditioning. I just bulked up and I weighed like 326 and fucking, I was super strong. I remember we went out to mini camp and I remember I took my first set and this fucking dude ran around the corner on me and he like orbited me. Like I was like a fucking big planet. He was a moon and just smoked me. And I had this realization that I was uh, too fucking slow. And I was like, man, I'm going to get cut. So I went home, I had six weeks off and I went back to Florida and I, (laughs) you're going to laugh at this. uh, I ate chicken and a huge salad. That was all I really ate. I'd say fucking, I would like wake up in the morning, have some chicken and I would have this huge like chicken salad Oof. and I would go lift weights and then I would go at night and I would fucking run and sprint and I would like fucking kick the soccer ball for an hour with my dog and I would just be out there like in the tech, in the Florida heat for like, you know, two or three hours. And, um, I came back that six weeks later and I was like three Oh six. So mm-hmm. I lost 20 pounds in that six weeks. And all of a sudden, uh, I didn't lose any of the muscle. I just lose like kind of all the bloat and all the bulk. And dude, I was eating, you know, 400 grams of protein of just fucking chicken breast in a fucking salad and just running my ass off. It was a, you know, high protein kind of, you know, low fat, you know, sparing fast deal. And dude, I came in in great shape. I was rocked up and fucking went out and did it. Uh, but at the end of the, I mean, I was 
totally under eating on calories, but the protein was fucking through the roof. Mm -hmm. And dude, I didn't really lose any muscle. Now, sustainably, you know, right. for six weeks it worked and I was able to lose that 20 pounds and fucking cut for it. Yeah, and what but you like, had was the baseline for the diet after the diet. But you I'd knew also what you were going to fucking do. But I'd also been lifting heavy weights my whole life. Right. Like, it's a lot easier to take some dude who's lifted heavy weights for 20 years, who's got some body fat and, like, cut his calories, keep protein high, diet him down than it is to all of a sudden be like, well, you don't have really any base. If we cut all the weight off you, you're not going to have anything. Right, right. You know? So, like, what's the base you have? So, yeah, so, again, repacking. How do I get shredded? Number one, you we, have to have some form of training that looks like, like lift lifting, some weights, lifting heavy weights, do a little bit of Metcon, do a little bit of cardio, at least those, right? Yep. So bare minimum, think of like grindstone. Yep. Then you yep. need to be following some sort of non-crazy approach to making sure that you're achieving your baseline calories. Optimal approach there, I would recommend leaning protocol. So that's a pretty good place to start. Yeah. Right. And it's not because any sort of fucking you're not targeting visceral fat or anything like maybe there's some scientific mumbo jumbo that we're not hitting. But I think that that is irrelevant and very fringe. Uh, you just yeah. need to change your life and then be prepared for when you lose the weight to fucking change your life after that, because there's no well, going back. Well, if, if you think there's about no going back, if you think about the difference between like subcutaneous fat and visceral fat, a lot of that has to do with, um, you know, mm -hmm. like not only training and I'm sure you can pull up a million different things. But at the end of the day, like. Like fat and body composition, like as you start leaning out and start training and doing all these other factors and limiting the calories, I think it really just comes down to, you know, don't eat like an asshole mm -hmm. and train into a deficit. Yes. I knew that one was going to be a fucking hot one. Texas taking notes here. Don't eat, don't like eat an asshole. assholes. <laughs> don't train eat into a deficit. I like my new fucking weight loss. Need to lose weight? Amputate. Boom. It's, you can see it great. on a billboard. Do we got, we got time for a quick Jack Street Field Strong? It's only been 90 minutes. We have the rest of the day. Oh, okay. Am I wrong? I'm not wrong. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and hit this Field Strong question. So, Sean Palaskina, Virginia Beach. Uh, I'm going to ignore your first question, Sean, and move right into question two. What was well, his first question? How does Cash like sharing his shoes with McQuilkin? <laughs> uh, so you're a little off, Sean. Those are actually Jamie's shoes. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, uh, I was laughing the other day because uh, Cash was wearing, you know, Texas boots to school and he peed in them. And I laughed. Nice. I was like, oh, oh great. <laughs> uh, you, you haven't seen him sitting out on the wall. His boots been out there. And yeah. uh, Kate's been lying. I was like, I went and sprayed him with, with uh, Simple Green. They still smell like pee. That'll happen. All right. Question two, what were the results of the strength speed cycle on Field Strong? Were there any lessons learned from implementing that eight-week block? Um, people are slow. Sprinting. People are slow. Sp yeah, people are slow. People don't like to sprint. Or know how. Or know or how. Know how. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, uh, we, we can go back to a lot of technique stuff. We can go to everything. I mean, you can get into Caldeitz's lateral slang and all the other stuff. But at the end of the day, the only way you get better at running and running fast is by running fast. And if your ability to generate speed and run fast is uh, being hindered by not only strength, flexibility, technique, nor all these other key factors, it doesn't really matter. You're just running slow. Uh -huh. So I, I think the other thing, and which is kind of funny, which makes me laugh, is that the two things that people need the most, which is lifting heavy weights and moving as fast as possible, are the two most difficult things to do and two of the least sexy things to do. 
Oh, yeah. So, I mean, people love fucking jumping around, swinging kettlebells, doing this, Metcon, the whole deal. I mean, look at Johnny Wad. But when it comes to, like, I'm going to fucking sprint as fast as I can for the next 60 yards, and I'm going to take two to three, five minutes for recovery, and I'm going to give myself 10 fucking max effort sprints. Um, you know, that is a non-sexy approach and, and not a very uh, just fucking not a sexy workout. But at the end of the day, like, all you have to do is go – uh, on YouTube and put in like, you know, like a gold medal, hundred meters, 200 meters, 400 meters, and look at the physiques of, uh, the runners and, uh, or the sprinters. And there, there was a pretty cool research article. It's good. Nick forwarded us that talked about, uh, it's next to impossible to sprint at near max velocity and to be fast and not carry an ordinary amount of muscle because of the dampening effect that when they pulled all of these different sprinters in and it didn't matter on ethnic type, it didn't matter on genetics, it didn't matter on diet, it didn't matter on training, every one of them and the only thing they had in common was that they were all high level sprinters, all had a very similar body type. Mm-hmm. Not because of just, you know, maybe it's natural selection and maybe it's auto selecting out, but at the end of the day, you have to be pretty jacked to be able to sprint fast. Yeah, and well, so, so on the feed in Field Strong, yeah. we do a lot of coaching. Yeah, right? yeah. So that's, the team sits around and we watch some of these videos, get some feedback, right? Yeah, so I think that's where you're going. That's, that is what I'm leading to. And essentially, we're, we're looking at speed. And this goes back to our, our seminar days where we used movement to attack the limiting factors of speed. We're looking at flexibility, ability to get into position, stability, because you're sprinting as fast as you can. That's a maximal force that you can put into the ground. We need you to be able to control that. Mechanics is a big one so mm-hmm. we break that into arms and uh, the the leg action the positions the patterning that goes in through so we gave all these drills to to the the athletes and then we asked sprint because john's number one limiting factor for speed and he mentioned earlier is opportunity fucking yeah. sprint mm-hmm. so How the, many times the, like uh, think about this like when was the last time you legitimately had to run as fast as you could because either you were chasing somebody down something was chasing you and like you had to run because like your life depended on it outside i got funny stories it fucking happened to me the other day crossing the street i forgot where we were i went to cross the street and this fucking car was coming and i fucking literally dove like dive and drive and fucking like almost i thought i was almost ripped my right shoulder out of the socket and like fucking punch and hammer and all of a sudden it came back and like i took off and i was like fuck man that dude would have clipped me thank god i had the ability to fucking move quickly when need be but i think at the end of the day um like you said, man, the greatest determining factor for speed is going to be not only, you know, the opportunity and we can go through all the technique stuff, but at the end of the day, you have to be able to go out and run fast. And we want you to have confidence in your movement. You're not going to be good at this, mm-hmm. but the drills like our trampoline sprints or wall drills there, we're putting you Dead in bugs. a position to learn how to do this. And then through that program, we give you the opportunity to set you free and run fast. Well, the, the other thing too, and I think, um, this is really also a very difficult piece in terms of writing online programming and delivering it to people is uh, when I would, uh, when I was training down in Tampa with Roth, there was a bunch of Olympic sprinters that would come out and work. And the one thing that amazed me is they would take 45 minutes to an hour just in their warmups. So they would come out and they would run maybe anywhere from like 
four to seven max effort sprints at, at a given distance. And they would take three to five minutes of recovery in between, which looked like walking around the track, doing some drills, hurdle hops, different things. And they would kind of move like active recovery. And then when they were recovered, they would sprint. And they only would work at like, you know, run as fast as they could, whatever they needed to. And if they didn't run as fast on a lap and their time was off, they rested more or they were done. Yeah. Now, but what was amazing was the 45 minutes to an hour of fucking warm up. By the time they got into the sprints, dude, it was like a fighter. If you, if you go in the ring cold, you're coming out cold. And so I think we put in like, hey, you know, here's what I want you to do for the dynamic warm up prep. I mean, I know for me personally, before I go sprint the hill in the back and I go do my run stuff, dude, I get on the aerodyne and I do like intervals for like 20 minutes. I do dead bugs. I swing the kettlebells. I do as much stuff as I can in terms of rotation and movement and make sure that I'm pretty well. I never go run cold because I know I just it's going to be a uh, one. I have a higher propensity to get hurt, but also. Uh, it's not going to be my best effort. I'm not going to be prepared to do it. The nervous system isn't ready to fight. And um, I think a lot of this stuff, and we write it in like, hey, you know, here's the warm up and this, and we take you through it. But we're also writing for a time block that like, you know, realistically, if you were to do it this way is 60 to 70 minutes. But at the end of the day, like sometimes the, the, what's preventing people from doing their best comes down to the fact that they're just not warming up enough. And that's oh, where the DMP and the iron flex and these other things come in. A hundred percent. And so I, I hit a few track days with Annie Pews on field strong and she wanted to skip the warm up or cut it short because it was taking 20, 25 minutes to go through three rounds of our, our sprint full sprint prep sequence so you want to talk about lessons learned, Sean, invest in that opportunity. One, because, yes, it's getting your chili hot and prep for the going your full speed. But it's also a bunch of drills that are teaching you yeah. how to run fast. Well, what it does is it breaks the sprint into different positions, like, you know, everything from the A skips to the B skips. I mean, it's all, all these different positions are taking or all these different movements within the warm up are taking different skills that are developed and utilized. And also they're making sure that you're nice and warmed up. You know, I mean, and the idea is that uh, there is nothing as damaging or as hard on the body as a maximal effort sprint. And a lot of times within, I mean, it's where we see people pull hamstrings with horizon changes. They lift their head. Uh, when all of a sudden they go, they hit the mark and they go to decelerate and they don't have the musculature, the stability to decelerate and they fucking hurt themselves. I mean, we've seen the amount of people who would hurt themselves just from doing banded resistance sprints at the CrossFit football seminar was like too many to count. Why? Because they don't do that shit. To be able to put your foot in the ground and go vertical and, um, you know, out of 45 and to go fast, dude, like that takes not only opportunity, it takes training, it takes care and planning, but it, it takes some balls to do it right. Yeah. So a couple final lessons learned, then I'll, I'll hand it off to you. You got our Jack Street question. There's one. Um, I'll find it. Okay. But uh, to get back into it starts. So I went through Ruiz's master class of sprint acceleration starts to, to get back into it. So relearning and just making mistakes and failure on that and how important and valuable that technique and approach is, but then sucking. But it, I guess watching the film and slowing down and doing this, and then we were asking for a lot of start setups and execution to realize, oh, crap. Well, we, what, um, not to cut you off, but the thing that was most amazing to me is when you watch people run, so like all of a sudden they take off running and like, hey, you know, let's say they're doing a 60, 70, 80%, and like the running's pretty good. All of a sudden, uh, when all of a sudden now we ask you to do a max effort sprint, everything fucking changes. They clench the hands. All of a sudden, everybody gets tight. And the idea is that, you know, slow is smooth, smooth is fast, that, you know, when you come out, the technique doesn't change. It just, your sense of urgency increases. 
So the one thing which was really pretty amazing to me to see is that all of a sudden you hear people like, I want you to run as fast as you can. And now people's entire demeanor changes. All the technique goes, they clench their hands, shoulders lift and everything goes out. And I always, I'm like, man, you have to stay relaxed that, you know, tension is the uh, enemy of fucking going fast. That if you're all of a sudden locked down with all this tension, you're never going to reach your peak speed. And so that idea of task-specific tension and being able to be smooth and, you know, all the other stuff that we prep within the warm-up, you have to be able to do that. Yeah, and so big picture program lesson learned is we are not going to not sprint. So even though we're in a density fun, fun field strong, excuse me, sandbag cycle on field strong, Saturday is adding that option of sprints because those of you that completed the strength speed cycle, we don't want you to lose it. So it's your opportunity to continue as you put on the the tensile strength and the density from the sandbag cycle to maintain and hold on to the technique or get more opportunity to continue to hone your your craft. Boom. Jay Welly. Yeah. Why on Jack Street squat days is the pre-squat work usually focused on the hammies? Oh, because uh, the hamstrings become really the driving factor. And like we found that uh, by getting a gnarly hamstring pump, it seems to fix a lot of the knee dysfunction and any uh, injuries we run into. So um, I actually picked this up from John Meadows. So uh, when I was, um, you know, uh, you know, he, he, uh, we had John Meadows on the podcast years ago, and I remember we were talking diet. He sent me some of his training stuff, and uh, if you, you know, at the time when he sent me the training stuff, I was like, "Fuck, I'm going to dive in." And so, what was pretty interesting is he had uh, all of this like high, high volume hamstring work before I squatted, and so I would hit all and do all this hamstring, and all of a sudden I'd get underneath the bar, and not only were my squats better, uh, I had zero knee pain and mm-hmm. uh, just felt better. And if you look at some of the, you know. Like, I think I just read a pretty interesting article where they were checking to see how much hamstring is really used in a barbell back squat. And it's dramatically less than what you think, even with like a a vertical shin. You know, they talk about like a West Side deal with a vertical shin, sitting back as far as you can to really engage the posterior chain. It just doesn't work that way. It's always going to be, you know, very hip and very quad and uh, rectus femoris, um, you know, being more than just you know, the, uh, what you call on that, like, you know, uh, the hamstrings broken up into different pieces. So, uh, we found that by hitting a ton of hamstring work and getting a lot of pump in the hamstrings, not only did it improve the squat, but it, um, allowed us to just be able to kind of do everything a lot better. I mean, I, I wish I had some, uh, you know, empirical research or some research study that supported by doing high volume hamstring work before barbell back squats that it released at X and Y. Mm-hmm. It was purely observational. And John Meadows was, uh, is a huge proponent of it. And, um, that dude's fucking shredded out and super strong. So to expand and I'll, to, he wants to know, don't get me wrong. I like getting those ready. Uh, but I would think getting the glutes, hips, trunk would be higher priority. Now, number two, we're giving you the minimum amount of prep work. We're assuming, and we say this in your onboarding shit, you're doing 10 minutes of prep work for like using your own. Yeah. Pre-warm-up. Warm-up. Well, like, yeah. So what is your pre-warm-up warm-up? I mean, mine looks like, Hey, I'm going to do some hamstrings. I like to do some kettlebell swings. I like to do dead bugs. Mm-hmm. I usually ride the assault bike, mm-hmm. Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man's. We do some rolling. We so do it's some like tumbling. the hips, glutes and trunk, right? Yeah. And so absolutely you should be doing some full body stuff before you dive into this. If you show up, you know, uh, pull up out of your, you know, you, take off your suit from your banking job, you go into your garage and you just start at A and that's where you start, 
and train heroic, you, you got to do, no, you need that 10 minutes of pre-warm-up warm up that should be pretty full body movement flow. And that's where iron flex is a great help for people. But people just you do shit all the time. Like uh, you call it. So that's to kind of address that. Next and final question. He's a high bar squatter, very upright. Uh, does, should that change how uh, he's warming up before squatting? No. Um, people ask me all the time, you know, high bar, low bar. I just want you to squat well. Yeah. yeah. So whatever allows you to squat well. Now, if uh, if a high bar allows you or if your high bar squat sucks and your low bar is better, I'd much rather you low bar. Um, we have a pretty interesting, you know, uh, non-robotic coach's eye, inherent understanding when watching athletes move. Well, two or three And the ability to sense whether or not people are moving well. Um you know, I can watch somebody squat and know whether or not that's a good squat or a bad squat. I don't need to do any more than just have some observation and like watching it done. We know when somebody's able to move well and somebody's not. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, as long as you're able to squat well, um, I'm really not wrapped around the axle on where the bar position is. Cool. Yeah. So same prep. Yeah. Right. Um, all right, let's see. Quick shots. Hang on real quick. Uh, what are a few examples of a post-workout meal? Generally, paleo, primal, keto, just wants to know what the fuck we're doing is how I interpret it. Um, yeah, why not? Like For us? Yeah, personally? Sure. Yeah. So a, a hunk of meat, a little bit of carb, depending on the training, and that meat typically has fat in it. So that's like, because we train at 6 a.m. So I don't always do eggs. I, I've been on a big like sirloin roast kick. Yeah, I'm on a meat kick too. Um, right. So what I do post-workout is I'll usually do like 10 to 12 ounces of ground buffalo right now. Um, but today I actually had some buffalo steaks uh, mm -hmm. just from Stay Classy. And then uh, I did rice. Yesterday I did oatmeal. So I'll do some form of carb and then I do some form of protein. Yeah. Speaking of Stay Classy, Tex, are, oh. you, are you up to speed on the bison box? Uh, I... I've just got a box, but it's got a whole bunch of varieties, and I'm forcing myself to learn how to cook Fucking some new finally meats. good. And good thing I got this meat thermometer. Still Who's in the box. Who sent you a box? Stay classy? Stay classy. They're hey. like, hey, we, we listened to the podcast for the first time and realized there's three people Scott. on there. Yeah, literally talked to Scott, and he says, it's clear that John can't get anything done. Should I start sending stuff to you and text? Will that get us something done? And lo and behold, this year, this holiday season... We are going to have a Power Athlete Bison box. Ooh. Oh. Yeah. With hand-selected cuts from the team here. That means we're going up. We're going to get our hands on whatever meat goes in your box, and we're going to rub them. We're going to rub them on Texas robot face. We're going to rub them on John and Maya's human arms. <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> excited about it. Uh, they send me... Uh, yeah, so we got to pick out what's going I, in that box. I get buffalo. They send me buffalo livers. And and did uh, you know that, that that box is supposed to be for the team? They never told me that. Yeah. It's only like 30 pounds. Hmm. That's bullshit. You I'm get your own up. box. That's what we did. Well, that's been your smart then. Because you're a selfish son of a bitch, well-worn. Yeah. I have no problem not sharing that <laughs> fucking meat. First of all, uh, you would never share the meat with me, and you would probably let it spoil. Listen, John, you that's know a fact. It. No, it's, a f it's sitting in my freezer. Mm -hmm. So you're never going to eat it because no, you have I'm to cook it. Don't I'm you eat every meal myself? out? No. God, no. no I'm forcing myself to learn. Meat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's funny. We never talked about that. Crockpotting everything? Overconsumption of liver and went into a very. First of all, the fact that state. they would send one box for the three of us, what are we? Fucking sorority girls? Well, they send it to the office and they're expecting us to open it and divvy it up. Yep. Did they really? Yeah. That's a terrible idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. huh. No, I know. That's, that's what I told Scott. Never, that's why. That's a horrible idea. Sarah. Never assume, children. All right. 
so now Tex and I get our fair share of stay classy yum yums. Good, you should. Fuck. Yeah, but I'm excited about the bison box. So Tex, post workout, what are you fucking going for? Uh, a mixture of ground meats and then rice and yep. then uh, four salad my, smash. Yeah, just a salad smash. But I have to eat more spinach in particular. I was a mixed green guy, but now I, mm-hmm. through Dr. Christie's recommendation, mm-hmm. more cruciferous vegetables. Uh huh. So. Spinach smashing. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and more fruits. Yes, and I think so. My for me post workout because it's just we're we're out of oh, the house. Yeah, boom. It's like the kind of a autopilot, but a little bit of variety. Most of my variety comes in like the lunch and dinner side of things. But I, yeah. I don't know. I'm not a big like. Well, wake up, cook breakfast and lunch. Come mm-hmm. to come to train. Walk down to the office. That's the the flow. So we don't get that opportunity to. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Make a normal breakfast, but sure. eggs on weekends. I don't know. So the, the moral of the story is just get some fucking protein in with a little bit of, depending on what your carb tolerance is or preference, right? I, t- I tend to eat the majority of my carbohydrates in the pre and the post-workout yeah, meals. Yeah, around the training. Same here. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, let's see. What else? Okay, John, here's another. This one's, ah, you know, we've never really, I'll just jump in. Uh, WD Shirley. I put a stick of butter in each cup of coffee and drink five to six cups per day. Somehow he's fat. What's going on? What's he doing wrong? Um, how many calories are in a stick of butter? Ah, 200. But, uh, but w- I, dude, look <laughs> it up. No, look it up. 2,000? Um, so dude, this is a joke, you know. I think, uh, yeah, I know. I think a <laughs> tablespoon of butter has like 12 grams of fat. 14. Is it 14? Yeah. Well, we're looking at, I think. 810 calories. How many, how many grams of That's fat? That's a fucking pussy stick of butter. How many grams of fat are in that? I mean, I would say like 90. Because nine 92, times two, yeah, ninety two. Mm-hmm. All right, so if you're consuming ninety grams of fat <laughs> per cup of coffee, per cup of coffee, six times. That's that's a little extreme. How is that extreme? It's called the butter diet. Well, and then the other problem is, is the majority butter. the majority of it is saturated fat. Correct. What's mm-hmm. the, what's the ratio of saturated fat? Um, it is over fifty percent, so it's fifty eight grams saturated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, out of 92. Ideally, we would like to get a balance of saturated fat and monounsaturated fat. So, I mean, normally like olive oil. So, mm-hmm. I would never recommend just... So, you got to put olive oil in the coffee. Yeah, you got to put olive oil. That's probably what it is. You know, I mean, the problem is it all started with the fucking bulletproof fucking scam artist with this idea of like, oh, you know, just drink these butter, you know, uh, buttery fucking what MCT oil Trinity? coffee. It's just, it's bullshit, dude. At the end of the day, what's, uh, what's calories the matter. Mm-hmm. Like... I don't know this idea. And, and he even said, it. he's like, oh, because you're mixing the MCT oil with the coffee and you're eating in the fasted state, it uh, doesn't count. It doesn't count. Mm-hmm. And then like, in, uh, like, listen, if I'm putting any sort of fat in my coffee, it's hard lard and you know it. Oh, yeah. I'm talking bacon, grease and bourbon, <laughs> bacon, grease, bourbon, oh, um, awful. And a shot of espresso. OK, let's barrel on on that. That was a joke question, people, I hope. Um, so lightning round. What do you got? Yeah. Or do you want to address Ingo's thing? He's kind of got a fucking... Do you want to do that offline? Is it a bad pun? No, it's... He's asking about... So he's performing better than he's... Than typical on court. Uh, So he's been retiming his nutrients. He's lost 10 pounds, which is fine. But as of late, he's been running out of nitrous oxide by the end of game four at night. How should he adjust the training? Diet is straight. Sleep is straight. Uh, it's, you know, he's, he's dialed in on everything else. Uh, games are on Mondays and he doesn't train on weekends. Uh, has he got any blood work done? 
No, probably not. Uh, I'd love to see his blood work. Okay, Ingo, uh, send us your blood work. Yeah. Uh, he'll do some low heart rate stuff to stim the CNS. Yeah, but I, I think it. I think it's going to come down to probably some form of blood work. He's going to have something mm-hmm. within his macronutrient or micronutrient deficiencies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that if, could be because he's pretty switched on, dude. He's yeah, but I mean, if, if if all of a sudden like we were to get into it and he would say, um, hey, you know what, like I'm I'm lacking in something within my Krebs cycle and I'm not converting efficient uh, ATP energy. It uh, just feels like, or he's fucking old. Burn ban. Yeah, Ingo's like in his fucking 50s, dude, and he plays like volleyball with a bunch of like, you know, 17-year-old chicks because they're the only ones that are like, you know, he can actually play with because, you know, prepubescent girls is and what they he plays they share the volleyball. same taste in music. Well, they do, and, you know, I mean, it's <laughs> like, it's, yeah, it's awful. All right, long story short, Ingo, you're, you're pretty switched on. I tr- We trust that you know what the fuck you're talking about. I think it might be under the hood type of deal. Yeah. Yeah, let's check that. Um, all right, speed round. Roadhouse is on Netflix. Point Break is on Hulu. Where do I go first? I like Point Break. Uh, what time of day is it? I, I don't really like watching Point Break. Right now? Uh, I don't really like watching Roadhouse during the daylight yeah, hours. Yeah, that's a fair. Well, uh, to me, Roadhouse is kind of like a, like, a, like a dust nighttime like a, movie. Like a date night? I usually like to watch, if I'm going to watch Point Break, it's usually during the daytime. Mm-hmm. With your buddies? No, by myself. I would mm-hmm. never. I do. I want to be bothered watching. I have to explain to you the nuance of fucking the point break spirituality yeah, to, of it. Oh, Jesus. it's it's a it's a buddy love. Uh, movie. Have it's you great. ever have you ever tried to watch a movie with McQuilkin? He's asked questions the whole time. Like he's like my kids. This, this is false. Mm-hmm. That is false. That is my wife, and it's terrible. My favorite is what's happening. I don't know. I'm watch, are, are we watching the same movie? Uh, you haven't seen this? No, it's, it just came out. I think that was your kids during Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, it was awful. <laughs> Um, you know what I will say this the thing about Hobbs and Shaw no is it makes the Fast and Furious franchise look like um, real historical documentaries yeah I'm in dude uh, the answer there I think so you're saying John's saying time of day I'm saying situation what are you in the mood for because Roadhouse is more of a love story Point Break is a buddy love what am I in the need for classic robot response the answer is Point Break the fucking Roadhouse Sign, sealed, and delivered. Next. Are you saying that, wait a minute, that Point Break is better than Roadhouse? No, in terms of watching, I'm interpreting as what do you watch first. Oh, okay. I would watch Point Break first and then go into Roadhouse. Because Point Break gets you amped up, and you get all excited, and then you're kind of low on energy, and then you go into Roadhouse, which is like, you know, not as much peaks and valleys. It's much smoother. Yeah, it's a plot line. So the double, all all I can hear in my head is you guys talking. All I can think is the double douche, double deuce. Mm. Um, next up, you're in a street fight and you get one action movie star in your corner. Who do you go with? Mm, Good one. I mean, I know a default answer. (laughs) So do we go, do we go with the action star or the character of the action star? What do you want to do here? I believe the character and I'm going to, I'm going to, so I don't consider the Avengers characters, action stars. That's action. That's like super supernatural out. We're talking about just, um, you know, yeah, no mystical magic. Okay. Or powers. So these are normal. Yeah. No superheroes. And I'm going to say movie characters. It has to be the character of the action star. Yeah. An example would be Shaw. Yeah. Luke Shaw. Is that his first no, name? No, it's Luke Hobbs. Yeah, oh. Luke Hobbs. So, so Deckard which one's Shaw? Shaw? Deckard Shaw. Shaw oh, is... Oh, Sh- Shaw Statham? Yeah. yeah. 
Cool. Ooh, okay, um, so I'm in a street fight. I'm getting close. Do you know who you're at? Who you're yeah, I've already, I, I've already fucking. I'm know. fucking Nick Cage from Con Air because I know we're winning. No way. Why not? Are you kidding me? There's only one person to select. Rambo, John Jay. Mm-mm. I you don't think? No. The way, uh, dude. Street fight? Street Hands down. You saw him take apart those uh, sheriffs in, the, in first, uh, first Blood. I mean, dude, he climbed a rock face in Afghanistan. Probably best street fighter out there. Yeah. Picked a goat up off his horse. What's that sport? I don't know. Uh, so I'm desperately searching for a female action star. Uh, Michelle think, Rodriguez. Oh, uh, no. Gina Carano a, from any of her movies. No. First off. Michelle Rodriguez. A, I don't think I want her. I don't want her on my... I don't like her attitude. Why? I don't Ride like or die. her attitude. Ride, I just don't Ride like her die. attitude. Um, I'm thinking... Like, Dom Toretto is obviously an awesome one. Uh, maybe Spillner, because why the fuck not? I mean, he's not going to participate too much. We'll probably get our butts kicked. Butts kicked? Asses beat? But it'll be like... Do you, think in, a, in, in, do you think in a real life, you think Vin Diesel could actually fight? 100%. Well, we're talking about Dominic Toretto, not Vin Diesel. I'm not yeah. asking Vin Diesel to fight. He's going to try and kiss me. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's big into Dungeons and Dragons. Who? Okay, female action stars. There's Gina Carano. No, that she's out, dude. I know she's your one, but I'm not taking that. How am I drawing a blank on it? Uh, who's the actress that plays Sarah Connor? Ooh, I'd take Uma Thurman. Oh, yeah, Kill Bill. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, I'm, I'm picking a chick on my side because someone's picking a fight with me. I want a, I want a babe to beat their ass. And odds are it's going to be a lady picking a fight with me. <laughs> so it covers from both ends. Ah, okay. I got I to polish that up. I need to have a female action star on call to whoop some ass with. All right, next one. Next one. Okay, predator question. How young is too young to watch Predator? My wife says not three. I tell her three and a half. Um, I don't know. Boy or girl? Because uh, the girls are seven, and Predator is probably a little old for them. Cashy is three and a half, and Predator is totally fine for him. Yeah, because like the, I like, feel like your girls have the imagination to make all of that shit well, real. Well, yeah. So where and, like could traumatize them. Well, yeah. So so like they like interpret it that like there's really aliens and this whole thing, whereas Cashy's just over there like, dude, yeah, that big guy I, got smashed. I'm speaking from a, a a sincere form of like, like, you know, he's just a dude. And dudes are dipshits. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, he uh, like they they dude, just want to see things shiny and blow up and fucking jack dudes kill things. So he uh, they're not put, they're not worried he about fell, the he fell asleep during Hobbs and Shaw, oh. uh, and and, it, and then all of a sudden we get to the end where like the action scene happens and the trucks and the fires and all that and all of a sudden he perks up and I'm like, you know, he just wants to see people get punched in the face. He did like seeing the the uh, I forgot what the Samoan haka is called. It's called it's not a haka, but it's like their war dance. Mm-hmm. And he was pretty excited when they did that. But the Rock was looking fucking jacked, as is tradition. Next, finally able to get down to the symposium this year in Austin, mm. Texas, on the weekend of December five, six, and seven. As of right now, who are? Some solidified speakers. Mm-hmm. 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 Kyle Turley. Fucking Turley's going to be there. That's a, good, that's a good announcement. Kyle Turley is there. Kyle Turley's going to be there. So, a couple, so Kyle Turley and we have Craig Bueller. So a few people have been on the podcast and, and soft committed or firm commit. So Kyle Turley. Josh Bridges. 
Craig Bueller, and we'll go Josh Bridges. Well, those will be the three we'll announce. Yeah. Okay. Now, Turley is fucking, like, you would think that Turley would bring the action, and you're thinking, like, how can Turley bring the action? Let me just tell bring you. Bring the action. He's fucking bringing the action, and that's a fact. So strap yourselves in. It's going to be epic. It's in Austin, Texas. Uh, venue details are updated. We'll put those speakers up. Uh, in terms of event layout, here's how it's going to shake out. I think we're pretty committed to this, so I might as well just put it out there so we're fucking committing. Okay, Thursday night is going to be at 800 Congress. It's a bitching-ass venue. Uh, our Block 1 coaches have a Block 1 event, private to Block 1 coaches only. That's going to kick the day off, and we're going to fucking go in hot and hard. We're going to save that as a surprise. We're not going to tell them what that's about yet. Then general admission starts to roll in. Then we kick off with our keynote speaker. Then we go into cocktail, cocktail hour where there will be only hard lards <laughs> and white claws. Yes. <laughs> hard lards and white claws. Then we kick off the Wade's Army not-so-silent auction. Holy fuck, dude. I'm getting goosebumps. This is going to be epic. Then we'll announce the mystery of what's in John's pocket. A taser. And then we will tase text for the grand finale. <laughs> no, it's, it's a happening. video. What if I got to no go way. to Arizona to see Rick Smith to get this done? We no. tased twice. You tased twice. You are getting tased at the symposium. We have to promise our... Like, Stop listen, these speakers are all going to be boring. They, they need something... You're writing <laughs> checks. You're cash. You can't cash. Classic robot glitch. Uh, I was thinking that maybe don't tase them, but maybe we just timed like a metal chair and then we hook them up to like a car battery and just do like the uh, lethal weapon shocking. Let's do the, the fucking Rambo. Put them on a, like a mattress spring. Yeah like, that's yeah. like lethal weapon, like that type of deal. Yeah. So that's day one. But it just might burn off a little bit of his body hair, so we got to make sure that we use a little lighter fluid to make sure we burn it all off. Now, day two moves off to a gym, a facility right down the street from downtown Austin called East Austin Athletic Club, and it's fucking pretty bitchin'. It's really cool facility. The reason we had to move it from the ranch is because we want all of you in the practical. Yep. So day one, we're going to have a power athlete practical session to kick off the day. You're going to be working with us. You're going to be working with our coaches, and we're going to be doing what we do best is blowing your minds and giving you training tools, whether you're a coach or an athlete to implement when you get home the next week, right? That breaks. And we're working on like a group breakfast, maybe with some infamous wagon wheel pancakes, mm. right? Then we're kicking off. We're going to have a full day of speakers on that Friday. We're going to be doing that at East Austin, Austin athletic club. Then Saturday we kick off and we're going to do another practical session with some of the best coaches we know, some TBD, some are firmed up, and you're going to get exposure to that. And then we close out Sunday, uh, maybe with some other antics. You know, John, one thing that we're talking about is like our feats of strength throughout the weekend as mm -hmm. well. Like it wouldn't be a party without some fucking fun feats of strength that will just be going on throughout the weekend. Uh, you want to do a little reveal on that or should we save that? Yeah, uh, there's going to be some odd implements that were fabricated here at Power Athlete. One of them is um, I got kind of inspired when we went to the Stark Center, and I am actually making our own big cir circus barbell. So I was able to get some killer weld caps, and uh, we're going to uh, – we got some cool plates to mount it, and there's going to be a little bit of a, a deadlift thing that's uh, – Mm -hmm. going to be a kind of a like guess the weight yeah, yeah. and then we got a, another pretty cool thing that we're that we're working on too so yes. there's going to be some neat stuff it's going to be like think like 1920s uh strong man um coney island yeah yeah totally, uh, totally. kind of feel to it yeah and so the the goal there too is number one have some fun we're gonna do a little like like you said guess the weight raffle right and uh 
anybody who kicks in on that, those proceeds also are going Wade's Army. So that, again, fundraising vehicle to help raise funds for Wade's Army. The the feats of strength is gonna be fucking awesome. I, if that if it's turning out the way we're visualizing it, that's gonna be su- pretty fucking cool little deal. But that's where we're at for the symposium. It's gonna be fire, dude. Power Athlete H events.powerathletehq.com slash symposium. That's where the tickets are at. Um, I want to say we're almost fucking 100 tickets are down. Yeah. Sweet. I think we're, yeah, so there's not many tickets left, and we haven't even announced some of this shit. So get in early. Get in early, people. Uh, did, that, did that answer? Answered. Cool. Answered. Cool. What else? Any other questions? I think we're good. Yeah, we're good. All right. Shut it down. Bye. Let's go home. Wait, hang on. Tex, you say bye to the listeners in your best robot voice. <laughs> bye. Uh, goodbye. Bye. Adios, turd nuggets. <laughs> <laughs>It's time for you to empower your performance. Be sure to head to wadesarmy.org to get your donation in. And remember to train and tag us in your IG posts so that we can thank you for your support online. Until next time, bye!